Everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Pate. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the Netflix show The Fall of the House of Usher. This week we are finally here. We are covering the <laughs> finale, episode eight of The Fall of the House of Usher, titled The Raven. <sighs> We've made it, and it feels like it's been so long yet so fast at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like it took forever to get here, but at the same time, it feels like, didn't we just cover the premiere episode mm-hmm. yesterday? Um, we did not, for anyone that's wondering. <laughs> 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 Much to some of our listeners' chagrin that we mm-hmm. take this week by week and aren't a little faster maybe covering these episodes. But yeah, this went by really fast mm-hmm. um, in some ways. And I know you and I were chatting um, offline just before we started here about how much there is to unpack yeah, in this story. This this one's going to be, which our finales usually are. Like, so I In real time, as we're talking, I don't know how long this episode's really going to go, but people listening can <laughs> just look at the runtime on their podcast player and be like, oh, God. But uh, <laughs> I, there have they a go feeling, again. <laughs> I have a feeling this one's going to go a while, but there is a lot to talk about and a lot to unpack. And I... As much as I'm like, oh man, this is going to be daunting and a lot to to deal with, I'm excited to talk about so much of it. And also a little sad that it's over, because I'm going to miss this show. There's so much good stuff to dig into. I'm there with you. This I'm really pleased with this series. I mm-hmm. did enjoy, you know, just as we're talking about it before we jump into our points, that I did love the finale. I was satisfied. I thought it wrapped up things nicely. I think we got some resolution. We got some questions, you know, that were answered. I think there are still some mysteries out there, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, there's enough to, you know, at least be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, we don't have the answer to that, but it's not important to, like, the story or the plot or anything. Um but yeah, I'm gonna miss it. I mean, so many great actors, and um, you know the the performances, you know the 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 cinematography, the the setting, the production value. I mean, there were so many. Just I mean, everything I thought about this series was pretty darn great. And of course, the references to Poe and the modernization of some of his poems and stories. You know, really feel filled like that, dark and twisty, morbid, um, gothic side uh, that I have, and mm-hmm. just thought it was all all in a nice package. So I'm I'm gonna miss it. It's always a little little bit of melancholy here on this side of the house, you know, as as we wrap up these uh, these series. Yeah, and and just with the Flanagan of it all, the the incredible writing, the characters, the dialogue, the like I said, all the little like every detail matters things that are just those and yeah it is it's sad to like let go of that to where i'm like that was amazing that was great i literally on my first watch last week after we finished that i went and watched it it was one of those where those the raven flies at the screen it goes black and the credits start rolling and i literally just started clapping at my tv all alone in my apartment it was just like i felt like i just had to i was like yes um that's bravo bravo and then i was like all right flanagan what do you have next for me i want it now (laughs) yeah the dude can't work fast enough uh, for our satisfaction that's for sure yeah 
I agree. So well done. And and this story, you know, capturing, you know, the story about this family, greed, the consequences of of all of that, you know, just just really well done, I thought. So Okay. Well, you know, we we could sit here and chatter all day and, and praise, you know, Flanagan uh, all day and, and night, which I'm sure the two of us could easily do. But oh, yeah. okay. I know we <laughs> we have a lot to cover. We should just send all of this to Mike Flanagan and just oh, be yes. like, we're we're just, you know, uh, complete fangirl fanboys um, over. Can we just over put it work. into the universe that like whatever connections or whatever we can make. Let's try yeah. to make it like end goal. <laughs> Like, end game of this podcast, of anything else, is to get Mike Flanagan on this show one time, at least. Oh I think gosh. it would be incredible, and I want to try to, you know, uh, <laughs> manifest that Are we going to manifest that, that, for, yeah. <laughs> manifest that for 2024? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there's anyone listening that's got a connection, mm. you know, I, I will shamelessly put that out there that I'm, you know, I, I would just... It'd be all on you, though, Paik. You know, I would just completely crumble if in the presence of of that man. Um, but yeah, let's let's try to manifest that for That'd for twenty twenty four, shall we? Yes. <laughs> all right. So for this series uh, finale episode of the Fall of the House of Usher, Paik, will you please do us the honor of starting oh. us off? All right. Um... It was kind of cut between two places, two characters, really, that I want to start with. And I'll talk about one, then the other. And I was like, do I start with the best of the best or like the worst of the worst? Um, <laughs> oh, the choices. And I think I'll start on a high note because it's just going to go downhill. Uh, but yeah, I want to talk about Lenore Usher. Oh, oh boy. You, you're you you're starting gonna, it off on I'm, a sad note. You're going yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. I want to talk about... Lenore, uh, MVP of this entire show. Uh, you know, the only good usher that has been repeated and kind of played around with that theme there. I mean, yeah, we have Maury and Juno who are also great and do great things as we learn by the end of this episode, but they're ushers by marriage. Lenore was the one good spot in a tainted bloodline, right? Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we see the first we see of her in this episode, uh, is after her mother has been taken by the uh, paramedics and is going to be tended to. And we have Arthur Pym there in the house trying to convince her to amend her statements, make her dad look like the good guy, save face for the company, all these things. And I think her response was just the absolute best because Arthur says, you know, well, it's for the company, you know, you got to do this. And he's like, you know, once I talk to your mom, she's going to do the right thing. And I love that Lenore says, then you won't talk to her. I don't care what's good for the family or the company. This is about my mom. And if you think you're coming near her with another pair of pliers over my dead body, you fucking ghoul. And I, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Applause to Lenore. Yeah. Uh, and then I love that it cuts to kind of the next scene of Pim and Roderick talking. And I, I kind of love that Roderick is proud of Lenore for sticking to her morals there a little bit. As we see the connection between Roderick and Lenore, I will talk about more later. I'm sure we will we'll discuss those kind of things. But he, you know, I don't want to get too far into it. But yeah, I mean, Roderick really is revealed by the end of this episode to be the monster that he really has been portrayed as. He really is. But mm -hmm. if there is 
any good within Roderick Usher, it was his connection to Lenore, to his granddaughter. That that soft spot that she, you know, was able to bring out to where even if he was not good and never would be good on his own, he loved and applauded the good that was in her. And so I I really enjoyed that. Um and so that's what we say is, you know, is Lenore staying with her grandfather as he's back home after this like health scare, whatever, he, you know, <laughs> kinda mm-hmm. passes out there after the funeral, and then we don't really see what happens other than then he's back home, he won't stay at a hospital. And Lenore's watching over him because Juno left. So, uh, good for her. Uh, yes. But yeah, unfortunately, though, as we learn through flashbacks and things that we will talk about, Lenore is the last person in this Usher bloodline that has to pay the price. And a deal is a deal, as Verna says. So we get that scene with Verna coming to her room. Verna's not even happy about this part, but she has to do what she has to do. And at least in that, she makes it easy. Painless, quick, merciful, loving, even, if she can be capable of that. Um, Telling Lenore the future to come. That her actions in saving her mother, defying her father, that those lead to saving the lives of millions of people in the form of the organization that her mother, Maury, starts to help people in situations of domestic violence and abuse, the Lenore Foundation named after her. And I love that Verna spells all that out and it was like, you did that. And it's a it's a beautiful last little moment there that is then made bittersweet very tragically as we know what's coming. And so yeah, we've talked about this whole series, the show being very different, that there's not really that emotional attachment to characters that we get in a lot of other Flanagan projects that there's a lot of death in this show, and it's expected, but the characters kind of have it coming. And you're like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Except Lenore. This scene is the one that hurts. Uh, it's the finale, but finally the show got the tears flowing for me on first and, and second watch today, even. Um, mm-hmm. Just feeling it coming. You know, it's a slow build, but then this love and care that we build up for Lenore, you know, by this time that we get to this point... It just lands that final blow in the tragedy of this story, that the one good usher is still not immune to the consequences of this family curse. And it's it's the ultimate price there that everyone has to pay, even Verna, in a way, that she's like, I do my job and I do it without prejudice, but this part sucks, you know, and I, I have to do what I have to do. Um, but then, you know, Lenore was good all the way till the end, because even some of her last words to her grandfather is her telling him. Let it go. Let it all go. Fortunato is bad. Leave it all behind. Our family is bad. We've done bad things. But with the money and time we have left, she doesn't know what's coming. But still, she mm-hmm. says, we. it's not too late to fix it. That's what she's worried about. And so just the Ballad of Lenore, I'll sing it, you know, <laughs> that just definitely hold her in high praises. MVP of this show till the very bitter end. I I agree with yeah with all of that that if if there was any heart in this show to be had then this was the episode and that was the moment for sure yeah. uh Carla Gugino you know I've I know we're going to talk about her and the mystery of her character and who or what she is I I still don't know if I have it all figured out mm-hmm. but you know she 
still had to go through with her part of the deal, even when she didn't like it. And Lenore was a victim of the deal that Roderick and Madeline made. And, you know, as horrible as what the siblings and all the children uh, were, you know, you could argue, well, did they really, maybe Freddie did, but did all they, (laughs) did they, others really deserve what happened to them? Did they deserve to pay the price for Roderick and Madeline's decision to uh, strike this deal with Verna? But when you get to Lenore, it's like, did anyone even think of that? Uh, You know, as far as when they started to remember the deal and what that meant. And when, like Verna says, like, you wouldn't think that I'd have to spell out what bloodline means. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that her, perf- Carla Gugino's performance was, again, so moving. I mean, we've, we've praised her throughout the series, but wow, she really shined again in, in this scene. Uh, and with yeah. the... Like, you could almost say tenderness with, you know, uh, speaking to Lenore and praising her for being good, Mm -hmm. uh, but still having to do this terrible deed um, of killing her because of of the deal uh, and what it meant. And it was interesting because, you know, when Roderick discovers Lenore in that guest bedroom, Mm -hmm. that's the one time he shows any emotion over all of these deaths was Lenore. Yeah, I've got a, I've thought about that. Yes, I think it is. It's the first time we've seen any mourning, grief, any of that. You know, we've seen his children die one by one, not a tear, no grief at all. But now, and it's it's over Lenore that like that little bit of good that's there. But I think even he's grieving for himself, for even the smallest moment where he realized that his choices have killed innocence. The only thing that was good in his life, his family was just, you know, smothered out because of what he had done. Yeah. And even though Lenore was good, and as we've heard throughout, she keeps being referred to as the only good usher, her and Annabelle Lee, the only two good ushers uh, in the family, uh, and, and Roderick even praising her for her morals. You know, she's got the heart of her grandmother, but she's got my fire. You know, and he praises her for that. She still benefits or has benefited from the Usher family and fortune mm-hmm. and doesn't leave her, com- at least in in the eyes of this deal and her being the bloodline doesn't leave her completely unscathed. And it was so sad and really amazing uh, performances by both the actresses. I don't have uh, Lenore, the, the girl that played Lenore mm-hmm. uh, in front of me. Uh, I know we've seen her before. She did a fantastic job. Just, yes. you know, as she's listening to Verna, you know, and, and hearing about, you know, her mom lives, she recovers, and she's able to do all this good, you know, uh, in in the future and, you know, in her name. And I think she's, I think she's probably just more happy hearing that her mom, she's probably super confused at the same time. Like, who mm-hmm. is this woman uh, at the same time? And how do you know these things? But before she has a chance to, to question that, you know, she very gently just gives her that little touch on the forehead and gives her a, a peaceful way out, which seems like a lot of the Usher siblings could have had that option, you know, yeah. <laughs> if, <laughs> if only they had done the right thing. You know, we, we, we get to see that, that she, you know, uh, again, we're going to, I know, talk about 
Verna and and her character and who or what she is. You know, I you know, is she evil? I don't know. I think there's an argument for and against that, but she at least like kind of lives up to what she said. She's like, you could have died peacefully in your sleep when she tells one of the ushers, you know, before they're so violently murdered or die in so much pain or whatever. They're like, it didn't have to be this way. It could have been quick, could have been painless, didn't have to be all this torture, didn't have to be this dramatic. You know, it could have it could have been easy. Like it was gonna happen no matter what, but it could have been easy. And we see here that it was. It could have been yeah. because Lenore was good. And she did have a good heart and she didn't at least yet wasn't tainted by or poisoned by Roderick and the rest of the family. Like she yeah. still stayed strong. And I love that she stood up to uh, Pim. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be so easy to cave because everyone else caved, you know, was like scared of him and just did what he said without question. And she's like, nope, screw you. You know, this is this is about my mom. And so I, I love that. Yeah, what a sad, sad scene. Oof, that was a lot to start off. <laughs> yeah. And it only gets harder from more I know. crazy from there. Uh, yeah. It does, it does. Um, okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and jump into uh, the big one. And that's the deal. Mm-hmm. Finally, finally get to see... The rest of what played out that night in that bar, New Year's Eve, uh, 1979. Uh, and this is, of course, I know we're, we're, we're going to talk about what happened before that. But this is definitely what happens uh, after what Madeline and Roderick have done to Rufus Griswold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they go to this bar as we've pieced together over the series. You know, we get these little pieces of, you know, they go to this bar looking for an alibi. They're doing some talking. They're doing some dancing, making sure that they're being seen. Of course, they don't really understand the full scope of, like, what's happening. And that seems like this place doesn't even really exist. Right. Uh, which was fun. Just kind of adds, you know, adds to the mystery. But we... Jump in uh, back into this flashback where they're just hanging out with Verna. Looks like they're just talking it up. You know, Verna certainly is able to to play off as a very, well, I think she is a very interesting and intriguing character. But obviously, Roderick and Madeline don't really know this just yet. They're just having a good time chatting, chatting it up with her. Uh, and she tempts them with a proposition and lets them know that you can have whatever you want. You know, you could be the kings and queen of Fortunato and they can get away with everything. They can, no matter what they do, they'll get away with it. They'll have all the wealth and luxury that they can imagine, but there is a cost. And I thought it was really interesting when she's talking about their limits because, you know, Madeline is talking about she's talking about someone else and saying all these things that this person has to do to have a meal ticket. And she's like, I'm not doing that. I will. You will. I will never do that. And she's like, oh, so you've got a got a limit. And she's like, well, it's not a limit. It's a standard. Yeah. And she I'm not submitting to any man like she's very much on that wave. Like and and that holds true for her character, for sure. It does. Yeah. For the for the most part, it, it really does. She sticks to that. Uh, but I thought it's interesting because Verna 
calls it right out. I mean, there's so much foreshadowing all throughout the series and, and definitely in this scene. And she asks if they have a limit or a threshold. And she says, you know, most people have something or someone that they'd be unwilling to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And Roderick's like, not me. <laughs> yeah. <know>? I'm, <laughs> Which I like her. I'm, uh, not, I'm not like most people. <laughs> yeah. I like Verna's response to that. The curiouser and curiouser. That's a Alice in Wonderland reference, which was interesting. It was fun to hear. Yeah. It was really great. So throughout, um, after, after she says that and after Roderick says, well, Hey, you know, I'm not like most people. I don't, I don't have a limit and makes me so damn sad because man, this, like you said, this episode gives us Roderick as his true self. Yeah. And I was, I was really convinced that he was more not innocent, but maybe naive, more good willing, you know, when we first see the, the young uh, Roderick and his young family with Annabelle Lee. And, you know, I kind of, Put, shifted some of the blame to Madeline because that's kind of what we were shown is that yeah. she kept whispering in his ear. You could tell she was more driven. And, you know, I, I, I thought she had a part not to blame necessarily. That's like the wrong thing to say. But I was like, oh, she, you know, he kind of went down this path and Madeline's kind of pushing him along the way. And I watched this episode and I'm like, wow, I was totally wrong. I mean, <laughs> Roderick was just that bad all by himself. Like he somewhere underneath all of that, this mask or facade was really that terrible of a person. And if it was what happened to him with the death of his mother, the upbringing that they had, foster care and how they were brought up and, you know, it was just him and Madeline you know, against the world, you know, whatever it was, or if he's just made that way, you know, whatever. But I was, I was really floored by some of the things that he said. And when he says that, and Vern is like, okay, uh, well, you can have all of these things, everything that I just said, all of it. And you don't have to pay the price. It's not on your tab, she says, Mm -hmm. but the next generation has to pay the price. And when he's, it's like he doesn't even have to think that hard at all. He's just kind of like, okay. And Madeline just kind of looks at him and it's like, wow, does she have like a little moment of morality or something? I don't know. Yeah. That's Um, what I thought was really interesting about that. that Yeah. Didn't she almost have a pause to you or something or just, you know, I know she went along with it, but her reaction was interesting, I thought. Yeah, because she was really stuck on this idea of it being like a hypothetical, right? She's like, well, mm-hmm. hypothetically, this and that. And, you know, she keeps doing that. And then Verna says, no, real deal. It's an offer on the table. And, yeah, it kind of surprised me that Roderick was the one that bites with no hesitation. Because mm-hmm. even she's like, well, Roderick's the one that has kids, so that's more his thing. And it's like, nope, he's the one that's on board, even though that's the case. Maybe he thought it was hypothetical himself didn't believe it and was just going along with it. But it was, I was, I found it curious, curiouser and curiouser uh, that, <laughs> that, that Madeline, the one with nothing to lose really in comparison was the one that seemed to be very unsure and uncomfortable about it in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because Roderick already had two children. 
mm-hmm. when this takes place. He already had Tammy and uh, Frederick, you know, as as children. So forget all of the other children that, that he had by the time that we start, you know, the show uh, that he had with multiple women. Not only did he sacrifice the two children that he had, but he goes on to create even more children. Mm-hmm. Where, interestingly, Madeline, like, almost immediately after this happens gets an IUD and decides guess what i'm not i'm not having kids you know, <laughs> i'm not going to risk it yeah yeah and whether or not she thought that that was a way uh you know to get out of the deal or maybe not you know fully understand i don't i don't know but she's like yep not i'm not going down that path so to think that you know like verna's like well you know they'll you're going to live a long life but when it's your time to go like no matter you know no matter who or what they are or how old your children are or your bloodline he, she doesn't even specify children mm-hmm. she says bloodline very specific you know they're going to go uh, and he he doesn't hesitate and i'm like dude so he seems to think that it's better that his you know as verna puts it his kids might get to be like 40 maybe even 50 and live fantastic lives, have a life of luxury, all the comforts uh, that all the money can provide to them, that somehow that's a better life than living even longer and just like dying out of a natural natural way. And maybe they have some struggles in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if this series has taught us anything, I mean, his children, all of his kids were not happy people. They right. had all the luxury, all the money, all the comforts. I mean, everything that that they could possibly want, uh, money and power too. Yeah. Not just you know because they they could do anything and not suffer any type of legal consequences. And they allowed it to corrupt them. This money and this power, and they weren't happy. I didn't see yeah. any one of those kids be happy people and fulfilled in life. Uh, I think they'd have much richer lives had they not taken that deal. Um, so, yeah, it was it was good to finally get to see or hear, I guess, the terms of of what it was. I think we've kind of speculated that on that on the series um, as it's went on, as we've been trying to like piece together, like, well, why the kids and how are they involved and. Are they somehow part of the deal? And is it the whole family or, you know, what, what, what happens here? And it was finally good to see that unfold and get to yeah. see that. I thought it was a really great scene. Very interesting and broke my damn heart that Roderick was really a low life piece of shit from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh huh. Yeah. I like that. Even though it seems very crazy and fantastical that Madeline was the pragmatist, which makes sense. That's definitely her. But when asked, you know, what if I can guarantee you all of this? Then, you know, what do you, th- what would you be willing to give up? And I like her quote again, great, just Flanagan dialogue style. She says, so all these hypotheticals, never have I ever fuck, Mary, kill. What would you do for a Klondike bar devil in the crossroads? <laughs> it's all just fairy tales, magic beans and beanstalks, bedtime stories for kids. The real world is Darwinian survival, chaos, power, leverage. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. And then, the hypotheticals that they're they're talking about there, I like that they go right out the window the second that Verna starts revealing 
very specifically what they had just done, like naming Griswold and Fortunato and things by name. And like, you're going to get a CEO and you're this. It's like, and you can see the like change on their faces. Like things just got creepy, but all, well, mm-hmm. you see Madeline kind of being like worried or scared. But again, Roderick seems to be just more intrigued. He's like, like almost like he's already seeing the opportunity in something where he's like, I don't know yeah. who this is. I don't know how she knows what she knows, but I'm going to find a way to gain from this. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think really just speaks to how corrupt he was before this, before we even get to this night with Berna, this New Year's Mm -hmm. Eve night. I feel like they, I mean, yeah, obviously whatever, what they had just done to Rufus Griswold was terrible. And I, I feel that they didn't even need to go that far with right. Rufus Griswold. Uh, but I feel like even before that, it wasn't even that moment. And I don't know what it was. It could have been what happened with their with their mom and their biological father. I, I'm not sure. And maybe it doesn't matter. But I feel like they were already completely corrupt. And I feel like Verna would have never approached them if they weren't already corrupt. But maybe it was that, finally, that deed that she's like, oh, yeah, they are ripe. They are yeah. ripe for, <laughs> for this. Like, they're corrupt and terrible, but... Now they've really crossed the line here. Yeah, there's not really any kind of moral place that they're standing on, especially Roderick. I said when this, you know, the hypotheticals go out the window, like I said, where he realizes she knows things and then he's still in this position. He's still like joking where he says, oh, and it costs what? Our souls or whatever. Like he's Mm -hmm. just very nonchalant about like, yeah, sounds good. Which I loved, again, just the writing with Verna's response to that. No such thing for one. And even if there was... (laughs) You already sold them tonight, one brick at a time. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Such great dialogue in this episode. <laughs> Loved it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, yeah, it was, it was a great scene. Great to see everything uh, sealing the deal with a drink. Henri Cateau Dudignon Aritage Cognac. Very good. Very um, good, sir. <laughs> which, yeah, this $2 million bottle is very real. Uh, I was looking online and like looking into it. Uh, I wouldn't, couldn't spend the money on that. Uh, not going to be even bidding if, on that one anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> but I <laughs> will, either. I'll admit, I would love to try a glass if it was ever, you know, if the opportunity ever arose in my life, I'd be like, yeah. Uh, the best day of your life or your last day on earth. Isn't that how yeah. she put it? <laughs> you drink this on the best night of your life or your last night on earth, which Roderick did both uh <laughs> yeah and then just that last little you know we should settle up we just did uh <laughs> which was great and then them going outside i like you know, they still don't believe what happened that weird fucking lady and turning around and realizing the bar was never there Ooh. <laughs> yeah looks like it did when um i don't remember what episode it was but when madeline retraced their steps yeah and that's that's what she saw there as well all boarded up with the raven painted out on the outside. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. So <laughs> that was my first point. What is your next one? All right. Uh, like I said, start with, start with the best of the best. Let's move to, I don't know, maybe not worst of the worst, because that's definitely Roderick, I think, by the end. But Madeline is still very complicit and still not a good person. Um, no. As we see, uh, again, kind of beginning the episode 
her walking into the office with Roderick and Pim talking and seeing Roderick, her brother, who just OD'd <laughs> sitting right there. Um, and I love, he's like, well, this is fucking awkward, right? Uh, it's like, <laughs> I know, like, yeah, I know you just tried to kill me in the basement, but, uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, yeah, very awkward, because she did. She convinced him to kill himself so that he, you know, she could, like, weasel out of the death contract and then take over the company for herself. And now they get to have a conversation about that, uh, which it, it half worked. He said she is now the head of the company. He's been ousted. He has nothing. But as far as the other part of it, yeah, Verna is still just around the corner looking to collect. And, oh, she absolutely does in quite a terrible way, which is not all Verna. Uh, Roderick has his part to play in it as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just jump to to the end of the episode or near it again, that Madeline reveal we've been here at this basement. Oh, it's Madeline in the basement, Madeline in the basement this whole season. And it's like, what does that mean? Oh, we found out what that means. And it was fucking terrifying. Um, yeah. Yeah. That apparently before Roderick had called uh, Dupin, he had Madeline meet him there in the basement of the childhood home to discuss their impending doom. And, you know, a toast to what we've created and also maybe get her back just a little bit. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's hard to, to know exactly why he did what he did. Whether, you know, he said it was out of love. He said it's, you know, she was had this obsession with being immortal. So that was her his last gift, that send-off to her, was this, you know, the sapphire eyes of Tusret. And this, you're, you know, you are a queen. You're a goddess. You're going to live forever. Give you the queen's burial surrounded by all your treasures so that you have them in the afterlife all of this kind of stuff but the way he goes about it i feel like there's a little bit of a dig in there as well for the fact that what she did to him and it kind of goes in a you know perfect piece of poetic symmetry right where the way he gets her is poisoning her with a drink the way that they they got rufus griswold Mm -hmm. uh so I, i thought that was really interesting uh, but this conversation they have really reveals that Madeline is kind of the most evil kind of evil, perhaps, uh, where she gives this speech about who they are and their role in the world and what they've accomplished. And that's why I say it's like it's kind of one of the most kinds of evil because she knows what she's doing is terrible. Mm-hmm. She knows that she and her actions are what is wrong with this world. And yet she benefits from the system. So instead of fighting it, she embraces it and blames the people that she's exploiting for allowing them to exploit them. And that's kind of her mindset. And as you're like hearing this whole speech, you're like, oh, you're, you're evil. Got it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, her speech was, or her monologue more like, yeah. another Flanagan monologue, <laughs> was just so on the nose yeah Uh, i mean a lot of this episode was there was a lot of uh big hits of like current yeah um modern day occurrences and happenings that you're like oh yep (laughs) yeah and then of course her lines i don't care if it's death herself which that's kind of where i'm landing i think that's what it is Uh, if she wants madeline fucking usher she'll have to look me straight in the eyes and i was like oh about that um that's gonna be a problem Uh (laughs) another darn eye reference you know it's like it's like you just know it's gonna happen right uh but then yeah like their mother (laughs) dead didn't stay dead right uh so the sounds that they've been hearing is her like it is Madeline down there. She's like fumbling around trying. She's blinded. She's got these sapphires in her eyes. 
So she's like fumbling around down there, bumping into stuff, trying to get her bearings, whatever's going on. And she finally finds the stairs and climbs up this immensely horrific scene. Uh, you know, she's stumbling around and it's not till her brother Roderick says, you know, never more. She hears him, makes that beeline straight to him and blindly grasping for his throat, strangles the life out of him, which again, full circle, like their mother did to their father in that first episode. So a lot of symmetry, uh, which Verna says she's a creature of symmetry. Right? <laughs> she likes the symmetry. Yeah. Well, I mean, Madeline told us, or at least showed us, if not telling us, often throughout the series, that she was very much focused on herself. You know, she, but what was interesting is, you know, as, as much as what she vowed to not let a man have power over her, but she, she did. She went into that agreement with Roderick. Because it sounds like when they were talking, if she didn't agree to the deal, there wasn't going to be a deal. Like, it had to be the both of them. Because Roderick immediately was like, yep, okay, I got a deal. And she looks at, Verna looks at Madeline, and Madeline's like, oh, this is, you know, his thing. I don't, you know, like, I don't even have kids. or And she's like, doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's the both of you. Um, so Madeline tied her life to Roderick's uh, because, you know, she said, in into the world together, out of the world together. So mm-hmm. she, when she accepted the deal, her fate was tied with his. And... You know, she kept trying to look for a way to, like Verna puts it, loophole yeah. her way. The <laughs> 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 really good line, uh, by the way. Uh, but she she keeps trying to find a way out of it, and like you know, I, I'm going to sacrifice my brother. You know, like you said, this was a whole awkward moment, and whatever it was, I don't know really what to believe from Madeline. Was it an act of mercy? Like, could she? not continue was part of it like okay i'm gonna have my brother overdose on on this drug uh one to help get out of this deal which he doesn't quite know about but also uh, you know what she would maybe say as an act of mercy because she can't see him keep spiraling with his illness in this dementia you know um it's kind of saving him from this really bad fate you know, I don't I don't know if I believe that or not, but, you know, she kept she was trying to look out for herself and break the steel, renegotiate on her own behalf, you know, with Verna and, and talked with her on her own. Um, she was trying to find a way with this A.I., you know, to try to create something that uh, was like an A.I. version of a of a human. Mm-hmm. And just like like you said, you know, like her mom, you know, she she rose up and went after the man that wronged her, just <laughs> like her mom. And in this case, it was her brother. And and in her mom's case, it was Longfellow and uh, took him out yeah. and, and out they went. So, yeah, Madeline, she was she was. Evil, but in a different way than what Roderick was. That's for yeah. sure. But I still found her really fascinating. <laughs> oh, for there sure. Were, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know you're evil, but I still kind of admire some parts of you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
she had she had some uh, good lines, that's for sure. And I do like, you know, how she kind of took took on the corporate world, you know, that's, you know, uh, usually so male-dominated. Um, she didn't take any shit. She had some, I thought, uh, interesting qualities. Yeah. Ter- terrible person, obviously. Oh, Madeline. Uh, let's talk about... Berna and what we think she was, who she was, where did she come from? Mm-hmm. I don't know because I feel like it's a it's they didn't tell us in the series really. Right. But I know it wasn't like directly we, spelled out. I yeah. I still want to stick with kind of what I said last week. I think the city and the sea really was the clarity for me that I was like I. I think where we're going at, I think the answer I'll stick with for my best guess is kind of the personification of death. That's what she is. But but there is something different yeah. because there's not really in other kind of stories and, and tales and mythology or whatever of death making deals with people like this. I mean, there is like the deal with the devil, the deal with it. But like it does seem – yeah, it seems different than just kind of typically death as a bystander keeping – the flow of of mortality on you know in humanity is like the way that it is yeah that she is integrating herself into things that she's intrigued by humanity and gets involved and plays with them like they're kind of her toys and can do things and manipulate things so that is interesting yeah and i felt like it was about as close of an explanation as what what we were able to come up with based on the information that we had but in this episode when her and Arthur Pym have their scene together, clicked something, and I'm like, what is going on here? Um, in the scene where Roderick was talking to Depend about Arthur Pym's Transglobe expedition, he talked about how Pym had uh, found an island called Ultima Thule. I'm probably mm-hmm. mispronouncing that. That's the best I got um, at yeah. the North Pole. And there being supernatural beings that existed out of time and space. Uh-huh. When Verna is at the bar with Roderick and Madeline on New Year's Eve, she says, we are in a realm existing out of time and space. Yeah. She... In her scene, when she's talking to Arthur Pym, she says, you don't remember me? And she says to him that she saw him, or that she first saw him, Arthur Pym, during that expedition when he was a younger man. And she was telling him about how she knew about some of the illegal things that happened shady things that happened um that took place during that trip and he admits he's like yep i saw a lot and he even says we were a virus i think people i mean and she says but you're so interesting that's why i had to go topside had Mm -hmm. to see the ship go by with my own eyes and you saw me too standing on the ice the aurora above and roderick was telling Pym about that. And he says that anytime Pym would talk about the expedition, 
he always uh, stopped talking about it when uh, he got to the North Pole. Mm-hmm. But there was one time that he did tell the kids um, uh, that the world was hollow and that he found an island at the top of the world called Ultima Thule. And that it was the realm of beings who lived beneath us out of time and out of space. Um, so this reference to Ultima Thule and beings existing out of time and space... I did some digging, and there's another poem by Edgar Allan Poe called Dreamland. And the narrator in that poem talks about a a location that he calls an ultimate dim thule that exists out of space, out of time. And in that poem, the narrator also talks about the location being haunted by ill angels. Hmm. And it feels like a little bit of parallels between what Roderick is talking about uh, when he's talking to Depend about the expedition and the narrator in that poem, uh, you know, talking about this location and those experiences. Um, And I I don't know what that means necessarily. I don't know what an ill angel is, if that's what Verna is. Right. But it's like, I feel like you can't, and I know we haven't described her as being like a demon. I don't think she's a demon because I don't think that she's wholly evil. Um, but I don't think she's good because she she kind of gets off a little bit on some of what she was doing with some of the siblings. Yeah. And some of the punishments that she was doling out, she seems like she was kind of thriving off of it just a little bit. So I don't think she's good. Uh, so I don't, I don't know really what she is, but she does seem to seek some kind of like justice uh, by, you know, confronting people like Madeline and Roderick and kind of doling out these punishments in a way. So I don't know. Yeah. But some interesting parallels there, and I just yeah. want to mention. That I think it was on episode six when when you and I were talking about it, because I think that was the episode that Roderick was talking to Depend about that. And I, I had it in my notes, so I hope I said it out loud, because sometimes I have things in my notes and I forget to say them out loud because I get so caught up in our conversation. <laughs> but I did mention, I was like, I don't know why, but I feel like it's important that we know that, that Roderick called that out specifically and talks about the North Pole and mm-hmm. what Pym said he saw about this island. I was like, I don't know if it's important or not, but it feels like if it's being called out, it's something we should remember later. So I feel like because it was called out, it's something significant. Whether or not yeah. that explains, doesn't really explain. It's still very mysterious. But that's what I'm I'm kind of leaning that's, towards. It's a really good catch and a really good, yeah, like for you digging in there and finding that because, yeah, as we've seen throughout this series, like names and and locations and even little things that seem like a throwaway. Like, what did I say? You know, with Pim saying, oh, I got to meet so-and-so for dinner or, or, you know, I'm having them for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and it was this, it is a direct reference to a Poe work. So the fact that this is something from that, like everything is entwined with different works that I think Flanagan really went and found some deep cuts to just sprinkle in there for those who could find them. And so yeah, so whether that explains exactly what Verna is or not, that it's definitely connected, and it's an interesting uh, reference, for sure. I'm really glad you found that. <laughs> it's very, really in- like intriguing and interesting. 
I, I don't know where he gets this stuff. I mean, I guess it's there. I guess Poe has put it out there, but it's, yeah. And I don't know that that, like I said, to me, it's still a mystery, which I, I kind of like. I kind of yeah. I kind of like not having a full answer, you know, because I, I don't know that it, even if that's what what she is, where she's from, and and it's like it doesn't really explain her full scope of powers. I don't understand really everything that she can do um, and what she's capable of. But it seems like she's able, you know, like time and space mean nothing like yeah. where, where she's at. So I think that's that's an interesting something to consider. Yeah, too. or even if she is some kind of, yeah, just supernatural being like it makes me almost think like like a djinn or like a genie you know like oh, in a lot of yeah, like that kind yeah. of like those stories and things mm-hmm. where it's kind of just her own actions and her own agendas that that is kind of this like maybe she has some kind of sense of justice or but it's it's all her own and she applies it to what she wants to when she wants to and it there is kind of this sick pleasure of her toying with reality and people's lives Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah that could be right. interesting and like you said sometimes i guess it doesn't matter i won't spoil for those who haven't seen midnight mass when we covered it although if you haven't watched it do that right now we have a little like time off after this when we're done with this episode so like fill your time and go watch midnight mass if you haven't but like yeah the you know uh kind of main threat or situation in in midnight mass we get some answers and stuff, but really we still don't know, well, where does that come from? Why is it? What's what's the reasoning? What is it doing? What is? And mm-hmm. I think it's totally fine that we get that kind of open-ended and we don't know everything because it doesn't take away from the story and the, the themes and the things that are there. Yeah, agreed. Okay, what's your next point? Ah, it kind of rolls right into it. Uh, nice. Arthur Pym, that story <laughs> for sure. We'll talk a little bit more about... Pim and and their conversation, uh, which I love. That, yeah, he he waits for her for days to return to this abandoned house, and then when she does, he injects her with like ketamine or something. Uh, you know, but you know, wraps her up and is set to dispose of the body. And it's we see like as like an assassin and a cleaner and a, you know man kind of thing. Like he is highly capable and he knows what he's doing. And then it's just, it's all a display that she plays along with. You know, we see her, like, she's, like, looking terrified and gasping for air and dra- being dragged around. And you're like, oh, damn. Like, <laughs> I love when she plays along yeah. with Yeah. <laughs> all for her to just, like, clap. And, like, she's, it's all a display that she's impressed with. She's like, wow, that was great. You know, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to see. She's like, front row seats to see how you do what you do. It's like, you really are good at it, aren't you? Uh, he scaring. is the Pim Reaper, after all. <laughs> yeah. Now we see where that nickname comes from, for sure. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then after scaring the shit out of him with that, you know, her supernatural ways, they, they have their conversation, which I think it's funny. That is twice now that somebody has killed Verna in that house. And then they had to respond with, I apologize when she appears again. Um. <laughs> I think I'd be saying sorry real quick, too. If, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what you are, but I'm really sorry. <laughs> Just yeah. <laughs> And, and then they have, you know, Verna has her speech about humanity and the things that intrigue her. Of course, yeah, it's it's a little on the nose. There's a speech about greed and corruption, capitalism and stuff. The irony of the line, you could stop filming movies and TV for a year. Is like, yeah, that was not lost on me on the fact that 
this is a line in a show that's on one, if not the most lucrative streaming services, you know, Netflix. So uh. I know I, I giggled a little bit too. I was like, we're, we're a little meta right now. Yeah. 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 Good job playing again. Uh, uh, yeah. And then you talked about, yeah, the Transglobe expedition and stuff that you had even more than me on that thought. I was like, yeah, it's just intriguing. That's where they first like met or there's some kind of connection and you found really cool stuff on that. So that's awesome. Uh, and then Verna offers Pym a deal of his own. More freedom from legal consequences from everything that he's done and he's tied to after the Usher Empire falls. Because it turns out Camille had a quite a case built on him. She says it still barely scratches the surface, but it's enough to give you like life in prison. Um, but he would have to give up something near and dear to him. And he's not willing. We don't know if he has anything. There's like this little glimmer in his eyes where like... When she says, you know, I don't want property, I don't want this, I don't want that. It's like something that you really, an asset to you. And you almost feel like maybe he does think of something, but he won't say it out loud or anything. He Or even, like, acknowledge it because then he just says, no, you know, I have no collateral. Collateral is leverage and I won't be leveraged. And that's where he stands. And, I mean, I guess you got to hand it to him. That's the commitment. <laughs> it's interesting. It's like, is that how he's chosen to live his life? Like, is... Because it it would have been really cool to get a little bit more backstory on Arthur Pym. We we got a cool story about this expedition that he was a part of, and we've gotten to see him in action a little bit throughout the series. But we don't really still know a lot about him. Like, has he chosen not to get married or have children? Because it sounds like he's like, I, I choose not to have any collateral, so I can't be leveraged. Yeah. Like, you know, Madeline or... Uh, Roderick have leveraged themselves, you know, um, in that way. So I'm, I'm like, well, Arthur Pym is a huge mystery to me. It would have been cool to get, uh, you know, a, a, an episode focused solely on him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, last thing I just want to say about that conversation is I got to point out the the line because it made me giggle. Uh, this, like I said to one of my clients, when I'm done, you can stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and it won't cost you a thing. Uh, <laughs> Without going too far or deep into that, people know. Uh, I just, I adore that line. It's hilarious and wonderful. And maybe it would explain some things for me if this wasn't fiction. Like, maybe that could have been some clarity that I've lacked in my life. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting, though, this this tie and this link between Verna, Pym, and the Ushers. That in 1979, this expedition happens verna and pym whether he remembers it or not she does you know she's like we met for the first time uh and during this expedition and then he happens to be the lawyer for the ushers uh and and he's kind of you know the i i realized that it was a deal with with verna that they were not going to suffer any legal consequences but i feel like mm -hmm. arthur pym has a lot to do with that being an excellent lawyer and having a lot of money and wealth of the Usher family behind him to be able to be so powerful to intimidate and keep them out of trouble. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just an interesting link happening yeah. there, you know? I like all of that. I I loved that whole whole scene. Um, mm -hmm. Again, 
Pym is a bit of a mystery. And I love to see when Verna is like, I'm just going to see what you're going to do. And she totally calls him out on all of that. Like, this is how it was going to play out. Right. And he just kind of like, oh, well, yeah, that's kind of what I do. <laughs> and But yeah, it was it's like, oh, yeah, Pym's a pretty bad dude, too. Not just like yeah. a corrupt lawyer, you know, unethical, I'm sure. Uh, but no, he straight up like kills people, too. Like, yeah. Don't you have people to do that for you? Like he gets his hands dirty. Right. It kind of makes like what, and it feels like because he's tied with the ushers that nothing comes back on him legally, but it's, it's one of those dark secrets. That's where like the Pim Reaper nickname comes from, or even August, you know, in an earlier episode, something that, you know, makes a remark about like, oh yeah, he's the guy you call when you want something to disappear. Right. Like, or something, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it feels like it's kind of like, unspoken that people know this about Arthur Pym, but like nothing, because again, he's connected to the ushers. Nothing is going to stick legally. So they can't really say that he does any of this stuff out loud, like in like a court of law or anything. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It would have been really cool to get um, a little bit more of his backstory and, and like what made him like so loyal to the ushers like just was it money uh, i don't know yeah. i don't know um but he he definitely just did whatever without question and the links he was willing to go to you know like without question um would have been great to get all of that yeah. let's let's put out there a, a pim <laughs> like little spin off or something <laughs> <laughs> that'd be cool Oh, gosh, I feel like I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, a little bit more because I have some things that I'm like, I don't know if that's too out of this world to even talk about. I feel like just this whole thing with uh, Verna and this like mystery of who she is and her origin just has me thinking so many different things. So maybe I'll save this one for a little bit later. Uh, one small point that I have is just nevermore. Mm-hmm. Love it. I, I, it's tempting to get that tattooed somewhere. I don't know where. Yeah. But, um, it was, we, well, it, was it was so fitting that we were starting covering this show when we did that Boston trip. Cause mm-hmm. I, I mentioned this that week after when we started recording. Cause, uh, me and a couple of friends in the group, you know, we, we made the little day trip over to Salem. And one of the main reasons, of course, is I had to go check out the Blackcraft cult store over there. I wanted to buy something from Blackcraft and the thing that really caught my eye. And then I think multiple, like I know I bought one, Daphne bought one for her fiance, uh, Dez got one. I think like a lot of us just like, no, this is Veronica bought one. I think where it was just like this hoodie that they had in there that literally was just this really cool kind of creepy gothic, like picture of a Raven on the back that just says nevermore on the bottom. And it was like, it fits. I was like, we're just jumping into this show and I know it's coming with that Time regard. It. And I was like, it was just, it called to me. I was like, yeah, got to get it. <laughs> Had I known, uh, I know I, I did not venture out that day. Um, but had I known, I said, here's some money. Pick me one up too. Yeah. <laughs> totally would have dug having one of those. I'll have to give me one if they have them online. Yeah. Well, it's what we hear Roderick say at the end is Madeline. Uh, is is you know finally freed herself from the basement uh but he but it's also something that is being repeatedly texted mm-hmm. to him 
from not his granddaughter, Lenore, uh, because as we know, she died earlier in the night, but this AI version that Madeline had been toying with using Lenore's social media presence to kind of craft this beta version of AI uh, is texting Roderick incessantly. It must be knowing, and Roderick's a piece of shit, but I feel like he did genuinely love his granddaughter, Lenore. Mm-hmm. That must have been very hard for him as he's telling and retelling all of this to depend. Yeah. And then getting these text messages, he knows it's not his granddaughter, but you know, it must be this constant like pang to him. Um, you know, knowing that it's like this AI version of her, but it keeps texting never more uh, to him. So th- th- this line, for those that don't know, <laughs> uh, is famously associated with Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven, which this title is named after. Um, the word is said multiple times by the bird as a way to taunt the protagonist. Um, in the poem, the narrator laments the loss of his love, Lenore, which in this case kind of parallels, you know, Roderick um, and the loss of his granddaughter, Lenore, because of his own um, actions and how he, ha- and well, not he, but she has to pay the price uh, for his decisions. Uh, the poem's narrator questions whether he'll be reunited with Lenore in death, to which the raven replies, nevermore. Uh, so one of my favorite poems, probably one of the more famous by Poe, even yeah. if you don't read a lot of Poe, if you don't really enjoy his poetry, you've probably read or had to have read that sometime in school and have been exposed to it um, in one way or another. Um, so we get that little bit of a reference um, in this episode um, and throughout the series, obviously. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Yeah, a, a couple yeah. of thoughts about that, which, yeah, just as extra notes as well was, yeah, the Raven and kind of the poem and what it is, which you, you covered. Uh, I love that, you know, sitting on the bust of Pallas uh, or mm. Athena, as we know, the goddess of war, uh, that they threw that in there as a visual, too, is really cool. But um, but yeah, I was I was wondering with the, the texting coming from the AI, I was like, I don't even think it was this AI version of Lenore's personality or whatever. I, I question, I wonder if it was Verna using that. Mm. Uh, because Maybe. again, that is what this message of nevermore means. Is that recurring repetitive word is only to antagonize and hurt the narrator 
which yes. our narrator has been Roderick this entire show. And so, you know, as you mentioned, will he be reunited with, with Lenore? Nevermore. But also how the poem ends where he even comes this realization of, you know, and, and his soul will be lifted nevermore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Leaving him to know that his soul is lifted, which means the only thing he has is despair. There will be nothing good for the rest of his life. Nothing, no happiness, no joy, no peace. It's just despair. And it's kind of this antagonizing way of he's been sent this message over and over throughout the night is like, this is your fault. This is your doing. It's your time to pay. It's imminent. You did this. I think it's just a very, it's a reminder that just kind of keeps playing in his head and on his phone, you know, this entire time. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't, you're probably right. I didn't think of it that way because yeah, it is a constant poke at the narrator, like in the poem, Mm -hmm. the same it's been in this show. We haven't, we didn't get to see it, right? Am I wrong that we, it it wasn't until this episode that we finally got to see what was being texted. Yeah. Yeah. to him so but we every know it's time, been going on it's been going on we just yeah. we didn't know until this episode what the texts were actually saying just that he kept saying oh it's my granddaughter Lenore it's her, my granddaughter Lenore but we never actually got to see or hear what she was what she I say in quotes was texting because yeah. we didn't know Lenore's fate until this episode um, but yeah you're right and, and it served I think as a reminder to Roderick as he's retelling everything to depend what's happening this constant reminder like you said never more never more and yeah the message is that the narrator is is has a fate of eternal like grief and sadness and never more was just a way to keep poking that yeah this was all his fault that's yeah. yep that's good i hadn't thought about that yeah and then just the scene where he's reciting the poem the raven as it's showing him with the raven in in the in the room and Lenore's body and all these things that he's being mm-hmm. tormented with that and even though we don't hear the raven say never more to there he ends of course the poem that he's the part that he's reciting with that line which full body chills during that scene i was just yes. like goosebumps <laughs> it's so, so good good <laughs> yeah i love it What's your next point? All right. Well, I only have one more because I did have a point about, yeah, the deal and everything, and you covered all of it. So that was great. Uh, (laughs) Moving on, Uh, (laughs) which is another very well-known Poe story. Uh, And we'll go ahead and, you know, it, it ties into, okay, what did Madeline and Roderick do right before that deal? And that is kind of... Mike Flanagan's retelling of the cask of Amontillado. Uh, <laughs> we called it. Yeah. <laughs> we called it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, of course, yeah, the party that they were at before Verna's bar was this Fortunato party. We see Rufus Griswold walk in in the jester costume, and we're like, well, there's one. And then she... <laughs> Pulls out the Amontillado, and I was like, and there's one. One plus one. All right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're there. Everything is confirmed. Like, even before anything happened, I was like, yep, that's exactly what's about to happen. We, we've been expecting this whole series. Uh, and then the actual plan takes, you know, place here. The, the thing, <laughs> the thing that Madeline and Roderick did uh, was, yeah, it was all planned out. This Amontillado that... Madeline brings out was spiked, drugged, poisoned, whatever you want to say. Uh, 
And then Madeline's able to seduce Rufus down to the secluded basement of the building that's in construction, where he would pass out and wake up to find the twins sealing him into a brick wall. Where this was a big, another kind of shocking moment. Aside from, we see the deal later where it really you're like, Roderick was the one that just sounded, it's a done deal. But even here, it's it was a little shocking to see how open and willing that Roderick was to do all this, that he definitely just had this evil in him. Because it's not just him going along with Madeline. He's the one that's just, yep, here's what we're doing. Here's the plan. Here's what I'm going to do, you know, and he's spelling it all out. And you can really see as he's cementing out this wall that he has no remorse, no care, that he's more than happy and willing to do this. Uh, which, you know, Griswold goes through the stages of grief, which, uh, it's funny cause Madeline kind of is pointing them out and she's like, are you just going to stay in denial the whole time? What is going on? Seriously guys. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, Oh no, you're doing great with anger now. Um, <laughs> but while he's kind of lashing out, but then there's kind of the, the, uh, the pleading, the, the begging, right. This, uh, making a deal bargaining step of, uh, that where he's just like, well, I, I never should have made Roderick take the fall. And you're right. That was fucked. But I didn't know, did I? I didn't know who I was dealing with. And I'm like, oh, no, you absolutely did not. Uh, mark that up for a contender as understatement of the century. Like, you really did not know who you're messing with. I don't think we did either. Uh, but we had our thoughts. But yeah, this diabolical plan is they just wall Rufus up. Then they let the information you know, the stuff that he's been hiding and running from, this case that Dupin was trying to build on him. Instead of continuing to hide it, they're like, yeah, no, we get rid of Rufus, and then we just let it all out there. We're like, yeah, no, all of that did happen. Uh, but now everyone's going to assume he fled the country and he went away without extradition, you know, all these things where he's gone in the wind, and now who's here to pick up the pieces and take over the role? Who Who can handle it? I don't know, maybe... The name that's on everyone's mind right now, the one and only Roderick Usher, right? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> quite the plan. Will it? W- would it have actually worked out that way without Verna's uh, help? I don't know, but because she was there and that deal they made, it did happen that way. <laughs> yeah. Did they? Did they need to take that deal? You know, I'm, <laughs> I feel like, like they, the path was set. Yeah, some things eventually would have come back to them, I think, after everything that they've done. But who knows? Uh, yeah, there's some jabs definitely for Madeline for a lot of the things that grew, uh, that Griswold had said to her or done. You know, she kind of has that moment. She's like, wait, uh, one thing's missing. The clown needs his mask, right? Uh, has to put the jester mask back on him. Um, there was a little bit, something I noticed that I thought was really cool. A little bit of internal pain and maybe guilt for Madeline that's in there is when she etches onto one of the bricks, you know, you are so small to where he can Mm -hmm. see that, which if you remember those exact words is what Annabelle had said to her when she kind of realized what Madeline was. And so she had been internalizing that. And this was a way to kind of turn that. (laughs) I think that was very interesting because Madeline has, it seems an impenetrable armor Mm-hmm. Uh, except for maybe that, yeah. except for maybe what Annabelle said to her, I think yeah. that got to her. And yeah, I think we see that um, that she let it be known that it stuck with her. We know that, not mm-hmm. anyone else. When she etched that onto the brick facing yeah. Rufus, mm-hmm. uh, 
course, then that the answer to the, the jingle bells we've been hearing all season is not a Christmas celebration at all. It's a <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I don't think I could ever call Madeline merciful. That's definitely not the right word. But at least she did poison Griswold with cyanide to make his death quicker. So he didn't have to just sit in there and starve and rot away slowly in a wall that she was like, oh, he won't make it till morning anyway because of the poison. Is that cyanide? So it's like, oh, <laughs> mercy might not be the right word for what she did, but I guess it's better than the uh, alternative. I don't know. Yeah, slowly rotting mm-hmm. and yeah, starving or uh, of, you know, thirst. A yeah. slow, painful way to go versus being poisoned. But I, look. Rufus Griswold was a terrible person, and he definitely deserved to have all the legal consequences and his own comeuppance for what he had done in his part. I don't think he deserved that. Yeah, it's a, it's a little far. Uh, yeah, I don't I think that they lot. needed to do that. I, I question whether they even needed to do that. It sounds like they were on the path of getting Roderick. Now, would they be where they were in this series without Verna and this deal. I don't know. But it, it sounds like he was on his way up, which was the goal. Yeah. Right. Uh but yeah, lastly, just to kind of again, it's a story that most people are familiar with. It's one of the more famous of Poe's works. But in case, yeah, so the cask of Amontillado, uh the characters are uh Montresor and his friend Fortunato. Uh, <laughs> and kind of plays the role of uh, Griswold there. Uh, but yeah, uh, Montresor invites Fortunato to sample this Amontillado that he had just purchased and, without proving its uh, authenticity. And then Fortunato follows him into the Montresor family vaults, which also serve as catacombs. And then even in the story, there's unknown reasons, really. But Montresor is seeking revenge against Fortunato and lures him into a trap Whereas he comes down here to, to get this Amontillado, the casks, you know, oh, there's more where this came from. Let me show you. Uh, he entombs him alive within the catacombs. And then at the end of the story is, again, Poe likes to work through narrators. It's Montresor revealing that, you know, 50 years have passed since he took revenge on Fortunato and his body has still not been found or disturbed 50 years later. Uh, now, a lot of people, again, like, in the story itself, the reasoning behind why he did that, what he did isn't really spelled out or known, but people, you know, scholars and different people who have studied Poe's works for years and years and years uh, have noted that his reasons are unclear, that maybe he's just insane. Or also there's little clues that Poe may have left in there that Montresor had lost his family's prior status and blames Fortunato. So if we're going off of that theory makes a lot of sense in a way. I mean, it wasn't necessarily Griswold's fault that the, the Usher family status was not where it was supposed to be, but you could make the argument that, that Roderick and Madeline saw Griswold as actively holding them down, knowing who they were, knowing what their status was, knowing that Longfellow was their father, and still trying to use him as the fall guy, as the patsy, instead of saying, oh, no, these are these are rightful heirs to the Fortunato you know, company, no, instead they're the laugh, laughing, you know, laughing stock of the company, and let's let's throw them under the bus. Uh, so if we go with that theory, that could be kind of what they're playing with there. Um. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was interesting for sure. That like digging that into that story a little more. That even like 
unspoken, un, un, you know, sh- unsure theories about the story of why Montresor lock, uh, you know, walls Fortunato up. That you know, maybe that was kind of it, it played a part in the story and the backstory of the ushers a little bit here too. That would kind of make sense to what I was just saying before. Like, I don't think that they really needed to go so far as to actually kill and do what they did to Rufus. Um, but that deep dive kind of like, oh, it explained, like, maybe they didn't have to, but that's maybe why. Because it seems like a little bit of a, a stretch almost. Yeah. You know, for them to have to, like, wow, that escalated really quick, you know? Um, so that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I like that. Very good. I think most of what I have are are kind of notes. Some are a little bit mm-hmm. probably longer than others. I I have one, and I'm curious. I, I <laughs> do you think that Verna had anything to do with? Eliza, uh, Roderick and Madeline's mother, and William Longfellow, and her rising from the dead and killing Longfellow in his yard. Hmm. Because it felt very weird that when Eliza dies from this illness, which I'm still not really clear, they said... Roderick has the same illness as their mm-hmm. mom. Uh, it the what what I saw was I thought a little bit different to what we were being explained to what Roderick and his symptoms were, but they're saying it was the same thing. Yeah. So she dies apparently from this illness. The kids bury her. She comes back to life. I mean, she doesn't just come back to life. She digs herself out of the ground, busts out of this homemade casket that the kids made for her, dug her way out of the dirt, uh, marches to Longfellow's house, chokes him out, and then just drops back dead mm-hmm. in, in the yard. Seems really weird. Uh, because if if that were the... I mean, <sighs> they had to have checked whether their mom was still breathing or not before they were sitting there trying to figure out what to do with her body. She'd have to be unconscious long enough for them to go to all this effort to make this homemade casket, dig that hole, uh, take her uh, down the stairs from her bedroom. I mean, this isn't an easy feat for even just two people. Um, and then bury her. And then while they're asleep for her to rise back up and then go to Longfellow and, and kill him. N- Verna... You know, if if we go along with the theory that, you know, she can exist outside of time and space. And we've seen her in these pictures in all different phases of time from like the early 1900s and the 40s and the 50s and the 80s and the present time. She's the same. So if, if she can, you know, if all time and space is simultaneous for her. And then when you think about the deal that they made that she has now the right after they've made this deal to wipe out the entire bloodline of the Usher family, which mm-hmm. includes Eliza and also includes Longfellow. Mm-hmm. 
so could she have let's say go back in time i don't know if it's again existing out of time out of space maybe maybe time doesn't really mean anything to her but in this case go back in time to to kill eliza or you know if she dies naturally bring her back to where she then kills longfellow and then eliza dies after the fact which then eliminates the bloodline from that end and whether or not whatever the order it it does i feel like sets the precedent for like i don't think madeline and roderick would have done the deal had that not happened in their lives i feel like mm-hmm. that kind of set off this chain of events that got them where they are um but i feel like that their death is the reason f- that they went ahead and took that deal mm-hmm. yeah, i don't know that's really interesting yeah because you're yeah getting into like other dimensional yeah like it's kind of it's time travel but not time travel i was gonna because, say yeah, it's, you the, know, it's but yeah it's that out of time you know space, every time dimensional kind of thing yeah <laughs> you know every time that we cro- uh, cover a show that has anything to do with time travel my brain just goes blip and just <laughs> can't handle it so i i don't know but it's just it was just weird and didn't make sense to me that eliza dies and then somehow comes back because in present day it's like the same thing happens with madeline and roderick the exact Mm -hmm. i mean you you talked about it the exact same thing happens she comes back and then attacks roderick the same as what her mother did they were in the exact same position she's over top of him choking him out i don't know if madeline was really dead or not when Right, like whatever. Right, I feel like she had to be. I don't know what the hell probably he did was to her fully, but I feel like he scrambled her brains a bit. He he had that mummification tool yeah. that Madeline had talked about in like episode one or two. You know, she's so fascinated by the mummification process, being immortal and all of that. Um, that was one of her prized possessions from ancient Egypt. That was a big theme uh, in 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 the series. He, he, he pulls that out or he brings that up out of the box. He's got the sapphires for her eyes. Uh, we know he gouged her eyes out. Did he use that freak? I mean, there was blood everywhere. Yeah. Did he like actually mummify her? Because, it w- I mean, you can live with having your eyes gouged out. I mean, yeah. it's. I assume, yeah, that she was very dead. Uh, but it's the same way that when he o- overdosed on the pills and Verna brought him back because it. They go out together. Right. Same thing. Roger yeah. killed Madeline, but they go out together. So Verna was like, no, we're going to go ahead and wake her back up and we're going to have this go the way that I want it to go. Right. So while she's not, I mean, Verna has these powers we don't really understand. It's yeah. like she can transport time and space don't really mean anything to her. Like she can travel at will you know whether back and forth or what have you that doesn't mean anything for her uh i, I know we were still kind of playing around with that theory about when uh vic uh was stabbing herself and she said to roderick why you know you you could have just jumped or why didn't you just jump um mm-hmm. whatever she had said to him in that way it seemed like that was coming more from verna not vic so she has like these powers if she's able to not really resurrect and like really bring them back to life, but like somehow either manifest them to come back or at least revive them long enough to carry out this final act. I don't know. Her, her 
what she can or can't do is a mystery to me. But I feel like if she was able to do that with Madeline, who I feel was probably dead, considering what I think Roderick did to her, Mm -hmm. I feel Eliza was also dead. It just feels like that is what makes sense to me, is that somehow she was involved, at least in the part of somehow reviving Eliza uh, to then do what she did to to William Longfellow to then completely eliminate the bloodline, but also kind of strike the path of Roderick and Madeline um, taking the deal. Because I feel like if what happened to their mom and Longfellow hadn't happened, maybe they wouldn't want to take that deal. Because I think Roger, at least Roderick anyway, sees wealth and power you know, as a way to to get out of and bu- and put behind what happened to them before, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what makes him take that deal without or, thinking about it. Which I, I I like that. Or conspiracy hats on. Um, <laughs> Robert Longfellow seemed to be quite a uh, wealthy, powerful person as well. What if the deal was Verna and Longfellow? Where there is this deal of you can be powerful, you can have the wealth, you can have everything you want, but your family will never, you know, amount to the same things past you or whatever, where there's kind of this other deal to where then Eliza killing him was his way out. But then that I think maybe she always knew Roderick and Madeline would have taken the deal. And that's kind of like, okay, so then she plays with a little more like, yeah, Longfellow's descendants, they can rise to power, but then they also go out in the same terrible way you know like maybe i don't know again conspiracy hats that is like has she been you know watching them since they were little kids and it was all part of this whole plan anyway who knows <laughs> i don't know well that's the mystery of it i don't know yeah obviously it's just like well it, seeing the parallels of what we saw in the first episode and then what happened with uh roderick and madeline there in the end and i'm like well madeline had to be dead i mean i, I felt like because <laughs> augie's face because <laughs> he's like are you sure she's dead <laughs> you know because she's making all that noise and Roderick's uh, Roderick is like he's he's about gone you know yeah. I think he has lost his mind with everything that's happened uh, and then losing Lenore and then being able to do that to his sister I know he 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 made it make sense to himself like I'm sending her out like the queen that she is, this is what she deserves. And, you know, this is how she should go out. And this is how I'm going to honor her. Like he tells, uh, you know, Augie, but then he's like, oh, I don't know. I, I, well, I think she's dead. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, is she or isn't she? But, you know, if, cause if he just gouged her eyes, yeah, you can live through that. But I'm like, I don't know. I bet he scrambled her brains a bit. I think he tried to like, mm-hmm. m- like not just replace her eyes with the sapphires. I think he like tried to full on like mummify her mm-hmm. um, in some way. Cause she was wearing like some kind of like robe. It looked like she wasn't wearing yeah. like her, her, whatever it was, her coat and whatever outfit that she was wearing when she arrived there to meet Roderick at the house. She was wearing like some, looked like a ceremonial kind mm-hmm. of robe, you know, or something. Um, I don't know. Maybe she was down there trying to get out of her bandages or something, you know, maybe she was all wrapped up or maybe she was in like a sarcophagus or something that she was trying to get out of. That's what all that noise was in, in right. this buildup till she finally, you know, made her way up, up the stairs or whatever. But I don't know, just seeing the parallels there. I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's a mystery. I don't know. But it just, it was like, I feel like you could go so many places 
you know, with with this and this mystery of who Vern is and what she can or can't do. But I like I like what you said too. Who who, who the hell knows how knows? Yeah. far back and how twisted all of this gets? <laughs> you could go on for so long with right. all kinds of theories. I like that. Uh, what what other points do you have? Yeah, because I don't have any other main points. I've just got notes left myself. Uh, okay. Yeah, so I mean, I can go over. I think a lot of them we've we've talked about, but just uh, yeah, little things. Let's see what I've got. Uh, again, a lot of things I've done. Um, I get getting Roderick and his reveals throughout the episode. I mean, even near the end, Lenore has died. He's talked with Verna, or he's well, he's about to talk with Verna. Um. But even there, near the end, he's trying to excuse his actions, right, to the ghosts of his children and now even granddaughter, where he's saying, you know, oh, well, they, they wanted this, so I gave them that. And this is, you know, he's trying to excuse everything that he's done. And then Verna appears to replace all of them. You know, don't kid a kidder, right? You know, mm-hmm. I know you. I know better than this. And, I like that, you know, when it comes to sheer body count, you're in my top five. Uh, showing him all of these people who have died and suffered at the hands of of himself and Fortunato Pharmaceuticals and Legadone and all this. And it almost seems like this, like, you know, come to Jesus meeting moment, right? Where she's like, look at all that you've done. And you want him, you know, you want him to feel ashamed and, oh no, what, what have I done? What kind of terrible monstrosities have I brought on the world? But instead, what he does is, uh, confess to, to Dupin later on. The major confession is he's like, oh no, I knew what I was doing the whole time. My drug, my empire, it was meant to be built on piles of bodies, if that's what it took. And if it did, I, I, I don't care. You know, it's about power. I'm not really disgusted in this visual of a body count that I saw. I'm indifferent to it, really. I don't know if proud is the right word, but it, he's like, I'm proud of my success. That, you know, if that's what it took to get me where I was at, then so be it. And that's where you really see he truly is the monster that he's been built to be. And so good riddance at the end right uh broke my damn heart mm-hmm. the the deal with verna in that scene i was like oh shit yeah you're you're not who i who i thought you were and then during that confession yeah i was like oh shit you did mm-hmm. know this whole time you know uh there there was no redemption Mm-hmm. I don't think for Roderick or or Madeline. I mean, even that visual, which was an amazing visual, by the way, when Verna's showing just raining bodies mm-hmm. of the, the people that he's responsible uh, for killing and lives ruined uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. Like, no remorse at all. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that it was Verna who told Roderick to call August Dupin and have this whole confession session as i've said yeah it was the one last thing that you need to do and it was kind of her pushing him to do that uh a lot of interesting things with their conversation as always uh you know like with you know what more do you want as he asks dupin and he says justice and he was like well what does that look like he's like for what you've done he goes i don't know but i'll know it when i see it and roger's response is i hope you do see it and indeed, he does right there in front of his eyes at the end. He sees justice, if you want to call it that. Um, I mean, he watches this terrible scene unfold that we've talked about with Madeline and Roderick right in front of him uh, before he escapes, right before the house falls down. The literal 
fall of the house of usher mm-hmm. uh and then there's this moment he's standing out there in the rain in this street where he realizes everything Roderick said could be true you know there's this figure of a woman with shimmering eyes standing atop the wreckage that becomes a raven and flies away right past him like there's just these little he's like well, best for me to just never think about this again. All right, you know? I am like, going home, and I'm thinking about this happening ever. I'm retiring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which he does. He's you know, kind of. We get the little uh, ending bit where the the voiceover of August Dupin kind of wrapping a lot of things up, and that's you know, yeah. He retires. He's I'm going home to my husband to my kids. Leaves the tape recorder of that meeting right there on the grave and it's just like you know i'm out of here like i'm free of all this i don't need any of this all the pain you've caused all you know this doesn't need to get out to the world you apologizing you confessing i nobody needs to hear your reasons for why you did what you did nobody cares you're gone and that's what matters um and i love when he says i'm going home to my family and he's like i'm the richest man in the world and that was really beautiful. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think is kind of the the point of like the whole story, really. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Madeline and Roderick could not learn from the lessons before them and fell down and were poisoned and were corrupted and corrupted others, corrupted yeah. their entire family and ruined the lives of millions of people. And like mm-hmm. Berna said, had such a high body count. They could have done so much good because she's like, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Get, you know, make all this money and give to charity or do, you know, she gave them the option. And, and what did they do with it? They, they, you know, just, they went down that path instead and were ruined for it. And I think that's, that's a lesson there. I think Anki yeah. was richer than the ushers yeah they had all the money all the influence but morally they were poor that -hmm. they had you know um which (laughs) jumping a little bit even in my notes i'm jumping around because that you remember this ghost or vision of of annabelle talking to to roderick at the funeral after the funeral which is this really powerful scene because roderick's realizing you know the damage that he had done to her and the kids that he took them out of pride and then he neglected them as human beings. And we see how that affected her as she died young um, at her own hands after losing the kids. But at least here she kind of gets to pay that final respect for the kids she never really had. But but we see this intertwined, the flashback and that scene where those moments where Annabelle saw who Roderick really was. You know, in that time, I thought you were a rich man, but now I see the poverty of you. Uh, and then even in the flashback, you know, the man I know, the man I could love could never, but you're not him, are you? I think I made him up. I felt like Annabelle Lee. Right. <laughs> I felt so betrayed. <laughs> yeah. Freaking heartbroken. I'm like, what have you done to me, Zach Guilford? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you are not the man I thought you were. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. I was heartbroken. I felt all of that and heartbroken by the words of Annabelle Lee. You know, I, I loved that that scene, which didn't realize, but I should have. I mean, it took me a minute. I was like, I don't think she's really there. You know, he mm-hmm. we keep he keeps seeing ghosts, you know, there at the funerals um, and keeps seeing his his dead kids. 
And I'm like, I don't think she's real. Uh, but what she would look dialogue. really good for her age if that was yeah, really good. Like, yeah, she can't be. There's no way. Yeah. Uh, but but we never really got. I mean, they still. I mean, obviously, yes, she died, and yes, was it at her own hands? It's what I'm. What I feel like mm-hmm. I'm picking up. But it was still a little bit of a mystery. I mean, he just kind of alludes to that. Like yeah. once once he fully corrupted the kids and took them away from Annabelle, like she couldn't she couldn't live with that. Yeah. Um, but it's what a great, great scene. And watching her at uh the caskets of her children, mm-hmm. you know, even though she she was dead, it was just like wow. Just moving i cried during that scene too the scene with yeah with uh verna and lenore and that scene with annabelle lee and roderick at the church uh, at the mm-hmm. funeral got me yeah so, jumping around but yeah just the the way the things ended it was like we get that voiceover august where he's like the short of it he's like the ushers are all dead i get to retire juno inherits everything and then dissolves it she Woo-hoo! starts an addiction rehab and recovery program called the Phoenix Foundation, which is great, you know, rising from the ashes of the Fortunato and then the empire falling. And then she got clean herself, which yay. And then love that for her. And then following up after the conversation we talked about with Pim and Verna, Pim goes to prison quietly without even fighting it at all. He, he, cause he had already chosen at that point. He knew it was coming. He had the opportunity to get out of it and went, Nah, let's let the cards, you know, play them out as they as they're dealt. Uh, let's see. I've got a lot of notes. I took a lot of stuff for this one. Uh, again, with the confession, them talking. Uh, August, as you know, okay, so you admitted to deaths. You know, you told me how your children died, but this is before he gets the Griswold uh, confession, where he's just like. So what what else are you, do you need to tell me? He goes, there's no more bodies, no more skeletons in the closet. And I remember just out loud going, well, maybe the basement, though. Um, <laughs> um, the, the closet is too small. Yeah. They need a whole basement. So, yeah. Still got the basement to do. Uh-huh. And, of course, then we get the confession about Griswold with the Cask of Montiato references and all that. But I like that it starts with Roderick one more time getting up to pour the, the drink, the same drink that Verna got for them of course they're at the bar and he says sure i can't tempt you and augie goes no and he goes i wish i'd said that uh which is a great way to build up that story (laughs) yeah (laughs) a little bit of remorse a little bit of regret maybe at least for maybe not for what he's done but for for how it's turned out that he and his family have to die at the end of it Mm -hmm. um we've talked about the raven and all of that so yeah last note i have was just kind of the closing on the episode it's not really anything deep just pointed out because i thought it was interesting verna leaving those gifts on the gravestones at the end and marking what they each were of course his perry's was a a mask masquerade mask camille a phone leo got uh, the gucci cat collar uh that was was a little darkly funny (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) vic had the heart mesh tammy was like a gold bug emblem kind of jewel thing uh freddy a bag of cocaine i laughed so hard at that one um it's like that's the best he got for him uh that's what he deserved <laughs> right uh lenore got the feather and the flowers the the, yeah. the peaceful gift there madeline gets the two threat sapphires and roderick 
the whiskey glass. Yeah, same glass used in the scene in at New Year's Eve, and mm-hmm. I think what he was um, also using uh, when he and Depen were mm-hmm. talking. Yeah. Uh, the last few callouts I have the line spoken by Verna. Uh, at the end while she's at the cemetery while she's putting all of those items on the gravestones um, is Edgar Allan Poe's Spirits of the Dead Mm. I won't recite all of it y'all can watch the scene or go read it for yourself Um, but I looked it up and and they they said that the poem is meant to explore the beauty that comes with death Um, which I thought was interesting but it was also supposed to emphasize that, or like not to romanticize, I guess that there's also a warning in there to not romanticize death. And it also kind of emphasizes that while people might be lonely in life, they're not in death. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I feel like, I think Camille had a line to Leo, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but she mentioned something about being lonely and how they're all kind of lonely. And that's what I kind of felt. It felt like all the siblings, I mean, even Tammy and Frederick, who were uh, blood siblings and Annabelle's kids and, you know, came before all the other kids, still just like didn't have a connection. They all kind of just felt alone and isolated. But in this series, while they were alone in life, they were united in death. And I thought that was interesting. That, mm-hmm. And then they were all lying together in death. They were all lying in their graves side by side um, in death. Um, I found it interesting that while Roderick's talking to Depend, he said, he told him, he said, I'm a lot like Tamerlane because he outsources intimacy. And I'm like, the whole family, I guess, knew about uh-huh. what or her her bedroom activities with with her mm-hmm. husband. Freddie mentioned it too. Yeah. Uh, I think this was uh, Victorine's episode when they were all in the bar and talking um, after after that funeral and you know uh, what was going on. And Freddie made a side comment about you know oh the hookers or something you know yeah. talking about Tammy and you know, what, what she was up to. And I'm like, they just don't have any secrets, I guess (laughs) at all. Um, let's see. I think we touched on a lot of them, so I don't want to repeat anything. We talked about the Raven. We talked about the items on the gravestones. Loved all of that. Again, I, I, I would love to get like recordings of Carla Gugino repeating and narrating these poems. I could just fall asleep. Um, to that she's a beautiful speaker I think I think that that covers all my notes shockingly <laughs> I think that was it I told you that was like we nine done pages it? <laughs> only an hour and 40 minutes and we did it <laughs> yeah I don't know how we I thought we were gonna be in, into the notes for a lot longer I said I had like nine pages of stuff <laughs> it, and I know you had a lot of uh, content as well so shocking that we that we made it well 
that was great. And I think that's a good place uh, to wrap our thoughts. I'm very interested to hear what our listeners had to say. Uh, We've got some great feedback this week from our devoted listeners. Uh, Let's start with the first one. All right. The first one here comes from Alma Contreras, who says... Rima, in the last cast, you posed a question about Roderick and what it was, or what was, what was it that turned him into the monster he became? I would argue that it all kind of started by his mother's death and the miserable life they were living before she died. But as y'all finally found out, the straw that ultimately broke the camel's back was walling up the boss brick by brick. And boy, oh boy, they took a long time with this huge reveal. I remember wondering about the flashes of the jester. Who is that, and what does this jester mean? And let's not forget the sound of the little bells. <laughs> I just was perplexed the entire time until the end. Bravo Flanagan for keeping us at the edge of the entire series. We finally get to the emotional part, or heart, of the series. I don't know about anyone else, but I was sobbing when Verna showed up to Lenore. All the other ushers were flawed and corrupted by greed and power, but Lenore. I'm so glad she did not get a horrible death. I actually think Verna felt bad for having to take her life. The scene gets me completely distraught because for a brief moment I had hope that Lenore would be spared, but a deal is a deal, and that is what Roderick and Madeline agreed upon. So, so tragic. Ah, uh, I'm an emotional mess as I sit and gather my thoughts. It took me a while to get into this series, but the ending was well worth hanging for. The cast was fantastic, everyone did a great job with their characters. Woo, what a great series this was. I probably wouldn't have gotten through without Strange Indeed. Thanks again for all the great content. Love you guys. Aw, thank you. So So nice. All right, Mark McBurney says, First off, I'd like to say thank you for covering this show. This was my first introduction into the Flaniverse and have since binged all the rest. Good, good That's amazing! (laughs) Goes on, all the Poe tie-ins, which you have mostly brought to my attention as this was also binged and went over my head, just shows why he's one of the best in the business, and this is my second best series of the year behind The Last of Us. Wow, there, there's some high praise. Yeah. Now on to the finale. Some light moments in an otherwise dark show. Lenore got the easy death she deserved from Verna and even told what will become of her mother. Juno inherits the company and dissolves it in order to help others re- rehabilitate like her. Now the dark. Roderick actually kills Madeline, at least he thinks, and entombs her like an Egyptian queen, Cleopatra? Then she rises like her mother before her. As they entered the world, they left the world together. Last thing, Verna. Originally thought her as a crossroad demon who makes deals for devil in exchange for souls, but after listening to last week's episode, I think she may be death herself. Yeah, I don't that know. or some other interdimensional supernatural being that who I, oh. we just we don't get to know. And I think I'm okay with that. I'm okay not uh, getting the answer to that question. I think it's better to not know sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right, this comes from Don Elizabeth says, Wow, this was a terrific show, and I feel that all my questions were answered. I'd been so unsure of Lenore at the beginning and how wrong I was. When I realized that all the bloodline was doomed, I was heartbroken. Lenore really came through for her mother. She stood up to her father. She stood up to Pym. And I'm glad that Verna was merciful to her. And glad that Verna didn't get any pleasure from killing her. I appreciated that she told Lenore about her mother's accomplishments and that they were because of her. Yes, I cried. I like that, I like that we got to see the importance of that Joker and the Bells. Rufus got what he deserved, I think. I did feel that it, I did feel that it was a horrible way to go. Last week, I said that Roderick became the Bruce Greenwood version when he lied on the stand, but now I think that transition was sealed when he made the deal with Verna. 
very selfish and short-sighted, and he already had two children. Madeline looked taken aback when Roderick agreed to the deal. She was always the smart one, and making sure she didn't have children was one of those smart moves. It made sense that Verna had met Pym back on the Transglobe expedition. I loved her line about being able to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. I can totally believe that person was one of her clients. <laughs> I could watch Carla G all darn day. Good for Juno at the end. The one thing I really didn't like was Madeline coming up from the basement and killing Roderick. I watched the series twice and hoped my opinion of that would change, but it didn't. I'm looking forward to seeing what everyone else thought. I wish I had read Poe and wonder if you would tell us how this compared to the original story. I plan on reading that now that the show is over. Thank you, Reman Bake, for once again doing a terrific job podcasting. I'm bummed that Flanagan is moving off of Netflix, but will listen to any other podcast you do about his upcoming projects. Until the next time around, cheers. Oh, that's really nice. Well, I can tell you that whatever he does, we're going to well, do our best to, to always cover it. I yeah, mean, we'll be there for him. <laughs> yeah. We, we follow mm-hmm. wherever, wherever he goes. Marine Favo says, short on time, so mostly short questions and comments. But first, loved, loved, loved your coverage of this show. Thank you so much for adding so much to viewing experience. Thank you so much. It's really nice. Uh, do you think Verna chose to make a deal with Roderick and Madeline because she knew their potential to cause so many deaths, basically keeping death in business? Or did their murder or lack of conscience trigger Verna to deal? Leonor, Pym, Convo was the best. Madeline and Roderick are both monsters and in right situation would throw each other under the bus. Real question is whether either could have been so awful without the other. Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Roderick destroyed Annabelle Lee. Jester, wow. Brooking in Griswell scene, amazing. Happy New Year. <laughs> you are so small. Great callback to Annabelle saying to Madeline, must have had an impact on young Maddie. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, Roderick barely thought about the deal and how sad is it he pressured his children to add to his wealth when he could have encouraged them to relax and enjoy their shortened lives. Wouldn't have cost him a thing to let them be completely altruistic with their lives. Oh, that's a really good point. Any theories on the wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald background during deal? Mm. Always love some Gordon Lightfoot. Any other reason? I don't know that I picked up on that, mm-hmm. so I don't think I can comment. Uh, but I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Good for Arthur Pym. Respect. Sentient AI project was such a great reveal. So impressed you called it so early. That was a great segue into The Raven. Transported us into Poe's poem. So many levels in depth to Poe with references to Pharaoh, Pallid Bust of Palace, Queen, Tusseret, Gods, and Monsters. So many details executed perfectly. Also rewatched the first five minutes of episode one. Very different impact with full series knowledge. I agree. I went and watched mm. about like the first 10 minutes of the first oh, episode nice. before rewatching that. Because I'm like, I am just, just want to see how it feels, you know. After. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. Uh, she goes on. Ranking of deaths, deathly experience. Uh, number 10, Roderick. Number 9, Madeline. Number 8, Lenore. 7, Leo. 6, Camille. 5, Griswold. 4, Vic. 3, Frederick. 2, Perry. And 1, Tammy. Wouldn't dare to rank monologues, but think Lemon was my favorite. <laughs> it was close. hashtag Lemon. Hashtag Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> Madeline's uh, in the finale was something else, especially considering she was already drugged. 
the last words to Roderick, uh, fitting you, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Depen and Roderick's interaction at House, a uh, really great representation of the fall of the House of Escher story. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Great commentary. Mm-hmm. And then this one comes from Sam Lowe. Hey, great to hear from you, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> says, I definitely lack your self-control and binge the entire season in two days. <laughs> the podcast has been so incredible, as usual. I've been dying for you guys to get to the last two episodes to hear your reactions and thoughts. This series is one of my favorites. I'm still not quite sure what Verna is, but I am scared of her. The bodies falling from the high-rise and her commenting that the ushers have killed more people than most she has worked with was haunting. Verna's last words to Lenore about Mori actually made me cry. Poor Lenore. Even a good usher couldn't survive the massacre. Any idea why Verna chose this time and place to call her bill due? And damn, Roderick and Madeline really did sign up to watch their whole family die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like according to the deal, uh, the bloodline was going to end uh, right before like Roderick and yeah. Madeline are supposed to die. Basically, so- yeah. He would live to right before he would have naturally died anyway, which makes sense because with his catacill diagnosis and stuff, his end was coming soon anyway. Right. Yep. I think he, what did the timeline they give him? Just a couple of years. Like he was already, they felt advanced and he might have had two or three years mm-hmm. uh, left. So that kind of started the, the time clock of the comeuppance for the kids mm-hmm. based on that deal. That's how I took it. Thank you, Sam. That was great. Uh, we got some email as well. Uh, this one is for episode seven. So just uh, go back in episode there uh, for these thoughts. This comes from Sarah. She says, hi, guys. So much happened in this episode, but I kind of want to break it down by person and the two people that felt like the focal points of the episode, Madeline and Frederick. Thoughts on Madeline. Firstly, what was up with her wig? Weird scene. It felt really random and unexplained, although I did like her hair without the bangs a lot more. The Verna conversation. It was so interesting to see them face to face again. Definitely feels like past Madeline was more of the driving factor behind the deal with Verna on that New Year's Eve and kind of threw her brother under the bus in the process. Roderick flipping on Augie in the deposition was so sad to witness. Augie's face in that moment and then his longtime resentment of the ushers till present day is totally understandable now. Even Roderick must have felt terrible doing it because he couldn't even look him in the eye. Clearly, uh, Madeline's idea. We kept saying from past episodes how it was Griswold that likely caused Roderick to shift from what seemed like a kind, reasonable man to the Roderick of today, but really starting to feel more and more like it was uh, Maddie that turned him this way. The Annabelle conversation. He did do the right thing, you fucking simpleton oof. <laughs> Back to the present day, making Roderick overdose and her reasoning that that's the only way to break this deal and that she ran through every possible scenario. Well, why does it have to be him and not her? And how she goes like, you trust me. You always trusted me. Gaslight alert. (laughs) And then you go on to say stuff like, you'll be a hero. You'll be a legend was kind of a parallel to her justification of Roderick's actions at the deposition. Now he'll be the most important person at Fortunato. It goes to show that that's how she's been pulling his strings all along, feeding his ego and praying into his need to be important and be somebody. Maybe I'm being too critical of her and have genuinely liked her throughout the show. All the other ushers are terrible in their own right, but she's just more manipulative and low-key about it. So I'll go ahead and say it. I think she's the reason behind this family's downfall. 
I think whatever she's doing in the basement in current day is some sort of punishment from Verna because she intervened with the deal and killed Roderick. Do you think she's even alive? All right, thoughts on Frederick. Favorite lines. Why the fuck would you do that? I'm sorry. Why would you do that, sweet... Or why the fuck would you do that, sweetheart? <laughs> and also, rest in pee, fuck face. <laughs> Pendulum foreshadowing. The cat clock in the flashback when he was a kid and him making his ghostly presence known uh, through the grandfather clock in the old house in present day. Also, the big wrecking ball smashing in, into the building kind of gives a similar vibe to a bowling ball. So I kind of stand by my prediction that all his bowling was also foreshadowing <laughs> of how he dies. Okay, I know it's a stretch, but it just fits in my brain. So I'm rolling with it. <laughs> I'll let you Some, have. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're going to let you have that one. Some interesting differences between his death and the other siblings for the most part. The rest of them got these little humanizing moments where they kind of crack and show kindness or remorse, especially when they appear as ghosts to Roderick. You end up kind of feeling bad for their deaths. But it's kind of funny that for Freddy, they needed a little extra effort to make us humanize him. They pulled the, hey look, he was a cute, innocent child once a long time ago. I guess it all went downhill from there, lol. Also, for the other siblings, Verna appears in their lives a little earlier on, and she embodies a character that can give them a test of some sort, a chance to do the right thing. But I guess with Freddy, she was just a silent observer, watching him get worse and worse, proving he was too far gone from redeeming himself. She just went ahead and went all out, and only appeared to deliver the death blow, so to speak. Verna is hashtag Team Maury. Love that she used that paralyzing drug on him, giving Maury that secondhand poetic justice. I hope somehow Maury finds out exactly what happened. In the actual death scene, gruesome. The eerie slowness of the swinging was anxiety overload. It's that lovely moment watching a horror scene when you know something is coming and you can't help but cover your face, but you also feel giddy in anticipation. You guys and fellow horror fans might relate. Absolutely. I know what you're talking yep. about. <laughs> I, I feel you. Bonus mentions. Juno. You tell him, girl. Get clean. Save yourself. The I'm Frankenstein and you're the monster line was diabolical. Lenore. You tell him, girl. Save your mom. The way he pulled the do you know who you're talking to line on his own daughter. Also diabolical. Verna in her meeting with Mads in the house saying something about how the chairs were set up that way for the boys later. Um, what? So she's the one that orchestrated that meeting with Roderick in August. Mm -hmm. One more episode and so many questions to answer. Sorry for my long ramblings. Till next time, Sarah. That was great. All that was great. Thanks, Sarah. Mm -hmm. It was interesting. Yeah, go back an episode and then you can even see now it's like where you were like, yep, on some things and like now the other things kind of took a different turn or twist. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> all good. All right, we do have one from Lara here about this episode, 8. She says, Rima and Paik, my final thoughts on Follow the House of Usher. First off, happy 300th episode, Strange Indeed. I've been listening since the beginning, and even though I haven't been able to follow every show, I would say I'd follow it about 90%. Always look forward to each one, and Strange Indeed is often the first thing I click on when it pops up in my feed. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate Aww. that. Goes on to say, thank you, Rima, Paik, Sean, and all the guest hosts for producing one of my favorite podcasts, You Guys Rock. On to the finale. I'm so glad my opinion quickly changed about this show. I was lukewarm after episode one, but quickly warmed up to Usher, and now would say it's my third favorite series in the Flaniverse, behind Hill House and Midnight Mass. Language, in its highest expression, is musical. 
Though that might have been a little self-indulgent for Flanagan, I also think it's his tribute <laughs> to Poe, whose <Yeah. laughs> mm-hmm. poetry and use of language has always felt like the saddest song to me. And damn if Carlo Gugino isn't a fabulous singer. I really appreciated the reverence this show had for the iconic writer and was so impressed by how Flanagan was able to weave so many of his short stories and poetry into one seamless morality play that never felt forced or clunky. Masterpiece. Poor sweet Lenore, the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. The moment Verna told the twins that their deal included the whole Usher bloodline, I was praying that maybe, somehow, Morella had had a fling with somebody else early in their marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, hoping for adultery. <laughs> right. Please. Uh, but knowing the fate of Poe's precious Lenore, I should have figured that she wasn't getting out of the deal any more than the rest of the clan. At least the raven gave her knowledge of how she affects the future and a peaceful death in the end. Thanks again for the excellent coverage. You both had such great insights into the symbolism and the connections to the source material. And I agree, especially after your last discussion, that though I was thinking Verna was the devil for most of the series, I definitely now see her as the angel of death. In a lot of mythology and cultures, the raven is considered a psychopomp, a spiritual guide that leads souls to the afterlife. Verna shows Roderick the many lives he has helped reap for her, and maybe she even gave Maddie a bit of a jumpstart as well, after her supposed death, to allow for her and Roderick to leave this world together, per the terms of their agreement. Mmm, I like mm. all that. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. Really appreciate your insight. All right, we got another email from Daphne, loyal as always. Mm-hmm. She says, hi, Rima and Paik. I really enjoyed this adaptation from start to finish and can't believe it's over. I'm glad we got some answers, even though the outcomes were grim overall. Madeline got the best of Griswold. I felt claustrophobic just watching that scene. The fact that Roderick and Madeline made with, or, sorry, the pact that Roderick and Madeline made with Verna was even worse than I expected. Roderick already had Tamerlane and Frederick when they made this pact and he knowingly signed their death warrants so easily. Maybe that's why he didn't seem to be concerned with them growing up to be empty, soulless spawn. (laughs) At least Madeline didn't have children, so no one was subjected to the consequences of their joint pact. The saddest part of this horrifying yet riveting story is the death of Lenore. I'm glad that Verna gave her a painless death as she was the only person in the family who was truly good. Roderick was right about that. In the end, they both got what they deserved, to me at least. Daphne. Nice. Very good. A lot of good stuff there. Oh, all right. And then we have another one from Sarah. She wrote in about episode seven earlier. We read that one. So now mm-hmm. she's got her thoughts about the finale here. Says, hi again. Here are some House of Usher finale thoughts and some of my live reaction notes. The first scene, Verna's dress is so gorgeous. The jester jump scare. I almost spilled my soup. <laughs> <laughs> Lenore calling Arthur, you fucking ghoul, is something I didn't know I needed. I like the exchange between August and Roderick, that he's here for justice, and Rod asks, what does justice look like? I'll know it when I see it. I hope you see it. Confirmed, Annabelle is dead. So sad, but loved her scene with Roderick at the kid's funeral. She mourned their loss even after she'd already been dead, but I have a feeling they didn't really mourn her loss when she died. Maybe this is a kindness in disguise. Maybe they died in their childhoods. What an ouchy line, indicating that Roderick taking them away by dangling all this money and power for them at a young age has killed their humanity, so they were already long dead in her eyes. Another brick in the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Jingle jangle, (laughs) y'all. Jingle jingle, y'all. Rufus is the jester, of course. The dots are finally connected. We all knew 
We all kind of knew he was the one buried in the bricks, and that the jester costume and jingling had something to do with it. But I guess this finally showed us why Rufus would be wearing a jester costume. I guess it's just those weird Fortunato costume New Year's Eve parties. One of the bricks says, you are so small, which is what Annabelle had told Madeline in the last episode, so I guess that stuck with her. Also, in the church scene earlier with Annabelle and Rod, she throws the line, oh, the poverty of you. She's really here with the zingers. Mm-hmm. Finally, the pact scene. Couple of real killers, aren't you? LOL, Verna has some zingers, too. Wait, she said bloodline. That means Lenore, too? No, we thought she was safe. Although, I am thinking back to the theory when you guys had in an earlier episode that the texts that Roderick are getting are from her AI replica, but I didn't want to believe it. Their reactions are so unreadable. Do they believe her? Are they actually considering it? Are they just going with it for funsies? Roderick, with no hesitation, what the hell? I guess I was wrong in my other email that Madeline wasn't really the one who urged him to agree. She even seemed taken aback that he said yes too quickly. At the end, they're like, what a crazy lady, lol. Okay, but surely you don't randomly agree to a deal with a sketchy-ass lady who somehow knows all their secrets. <laughs> uh, Fully adieu. Mike Flanagan does like this concept. Took me back to one of the Midnight Club stories. Mm-hmm. Augie's face throughout this phase of the confession session is all of us. <laughs> <laughs> His facial expressions yeah. were gold. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Verna versus Arthur. This scene was the best. Of course, she was somehow there during the Transglobe expedition thing. There was a line that stuck with me from episode 6 when Roderick was retelling Arthur's expedition story to Augie, that he found a realm of beings who lived beneath us out of time and out of space, so I kind of thought of Verna at that time. So now when she says, I had to go topside, so she's from the realm Arthur speaks of. I wish this was explored more. His interactions with her are so polite. He was like, yeah, nah, I think I'll take my punishment organically. Thanks, though. (laughs) (laughs) Lenore. No, leave Lenore alone. Okay, at least you can see that Verna is heartbroken to have to do this, but a deal is a deal. This is actually the saddest but somehow most wholesome death scene in the whole show. Her telling her how her mother recovers and goes on to help so many people is such a kindness. Even to us, the audience, because I would have been wondering what becomes of Maury. Now Roderick has lost his Lenore, just like the poem. The Nevermore text from Bot Lenore is a fun twist. I love it. And the Raven is here, y'all. That poem is one of my favorites, so I absolutely loved this scene. The visuals, the music, and the recitation. I had chills. Same. And then Aftermath. Love the Ghost Usher's board meeting. <laughs> it's raining bodies. What the hell? That's your legacy. Ooh, burn. We're finally about to see what happened to Madeline. LOL, is that Madeline downstairs? Yeah, at least I think it is. Rod looks so delirious at this point. What did he do to her? I know a bunch of people already complained that this show sometimes is just talk, 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 but it hasn't ever bothered me before until this moment. It's the finale, for God's sakes. We don't need another monologue about power. (laughs) Roderick's face looking at her is like, "Mm mm-hmm, you're so right, but you're about to die, I think. Oh, shit, the Egyptian queen's eyes. Wow. The way she crawled out of the basement, the most terrifying visual in this show yet. Just like Verna is a creature of symmetry, so is Mike Flanagan, because that scene so perfectly mirrors their mother's death in episode one. Again, with Augie's priceless reactions, he's like, what in the crazy bonkers hell is up with this family? Jeez, I just wanted them to go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have a toast for the real heroes. Juno, the boss. Camille's assistants are the ones who got Pim arrested. Nice. And Maury, per Verna's statement, is going to be a legend. 
R.I.P. Lenore, but you are on track to be the best usher in this family. August Dupin can finally close this hell of a chapter in his life. Well, that's a wrap on another great Flanniverse show, and as always, thank you for your great coverage. And thank you for always reading the listeners' messages. It makes me laugh hearing my crazy ramblings said out loud, and I feel like you guys always read them exactly how they sounded in my head. <laughs> Hope I did it justice with you this time, too. <laughs> Looking forward to hear what, the sh- what show is coming next on Strange Indeed, and I hope to write in again soon. Happy holidays, Sarah. Yeah. Oh, that was so nice. Was and yeah, keep uh, keep writing in, Sarah. All oh, that was uh, amazing. We are so lucky. We have such great listeners. Yes, we do. All right. We also got a voicemail because it wouldn't be appropriate to wrap up. <laughs> A series without a voicemail from our friend Steve. Let's see what he thinks about The Raven. Hello, Strange Indeed. This is Steve, and this is for uh, The Fall of the House of Usher uh, season finale. I have to admit something. You know, I usually wait to watch the next episode until after I hear your podcast. So that means you've actually already seen the finale by the time I'm recording this. Hey, just an observation. It's The Raven. Wow, literally picking up right where we left off with Roderick being brought back to life by Verna. <laughs> That's kind of funny. She tried to loophole me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I should, like, mention this out loud, but Carla Gugino is really sexy in that whole black dress outfit and with that mysterious voice. Mm. It's Pim with a hat, but no gloves. I hope it don't go long, but I just have to make this comment. Have Has Pim finally found his uh, nemesis in Lenore? Because she's holding her own against him right now. Ooh-hoo! And she just called him a effing ghoul. Ooh. Ooh, so Lenore has the compass. And we know in another show what happens when you have the compass. But probably not in this one. Ooh, and now we get the aftermath of the court scene between uh, Roderick and Annabelle here in the house. Oh, we're back to the uh, New Year's Eve 1979 going into 1980. So we're going to hear the actual deal. Oh, and there's the court jester. Oh, that's okay. So they haven't gotten to the bar yet. Ooh, he was just doing the cask of the Montealago. Mon- I can't say that word. And they brought him down to the basement now. Ooh. Oh, yeah. You can do anything to her. But now she can do anything to you, Rufus. Right, Rufus? Yep. And they're walling him up just like in the story. Oh, there it is. The court jester mask put on top of Rufus. Ooh, she's just laying out. They're going to hit a second venue, which is going to be Verna's bar. Ooh, Verna knows that you killed Rufus Griswold. Hey, I know I'm running along and there's a lot of, of story left here. But Verna's having this conversation with young Roderick and young Madeline. And in the background, is that the wreck of the Fez? Uh, is that the wreck of the... Uh, Desmond Fitzgerald. Oh, what's the, the, the song? The anyway, the wreck of the Desmond Fitzgerald song in the background is amazing here. <laughs> yeah, Madeline, you can't make a loophole. You both are going out together. Okay, so they saw that the bar disappeared back in 1980. That's a clue. <laughs> this scene between Vernon and Pim. I haven't finished it yet, and I know it's going to be incredible. Wow, Arthur has nothing to give. To ransom his soul for. Oh, Lenore and Verna. Oh, no, this is not good. Oh, no. I'm listening to this Verna talking to Lenore. And are we going to lose Lenore? Oh, because she's of the bloodline. Oh, oh, well, dang. Lenore's gone. The Raven wins. Oh, the 
House of Usher Falls. So what is there to rap? Oh, okay. Well, that was crazy. She came out. She got Roderick. And now Augie is out by himself. Okay. I guess Augie survives for Juno. Pim goes to jail. All right. Well, on to the next Mike Flanagan project, I guess. Fully loaded. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Yeah. He was the, so he was the second one that pointed out this uh, wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald song, which I had to kind of yeah, look up a little I, bit because I didn't pick I, up on that. I, I, don't I know did much not. About that, but. I didn't either. I just quickly looked it up, but I'm and I'm trying to. I guess I just wasn't hearing it. You know, usually I'm. I try to feel like I do a better job of like listening to some of the music in the background, and this totally went over my head and was not familiar. Are you picking up anything on? I guess like in real time, you're seeing us do prep a little bit. Cause I'm like looking at the lyrics and some like the Wikipedia article. And I'm like, just from kind of like a quick, like looking through, I'm not seeing anything that like directly connects to stuff going on, but I'm sure it was chosen for a reason. I'll have to go back and uh, listen. Yeah. I was trying to give a quick overview to see what the, song is about the lyrics i'm not picking up on it so i apologize that was totally over my head but great observation this is just one of the reasons why i love hearing from our listeners because mm -hmm. they help us fill out some of the things that that we miss or correct us if we're wrong and things like that so this was a really good pickup thank you uh, i wish i had more insight uh, to that, but uh, I'll look after after we wrap yeah. this. I promise. Thank you, uh, everyone, for writing uh, on our Facebook pages, for emailing, uh, for sending in your voicemails, and being with us throughout uh, the series. Uh, we wouldn't be here without y'all, so thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, so, uh, right now. I know everyone, I've read a couple of comments, you know, anxious to hear what you guys are doing next. I would love to answer that question. Mm -hmm. um, we're not doing that today. Right. <laughs> during this episode. <laughs> we're, we are, we'll take a little bit of a break here during the holidays. Um, for those that might not be listening uh, in as soon as this is released, we are just a couple of weeks out from uh, Christmas and the holidays. Uh, and so we'll take a little bit of a breather and maybe look around to see what we will be covering next uh we don't know yet uh yeah. we're looking for something that interests us so mm -hmm. if there's something that you would like to hear us or bring uh to cover or want to bring to our attention uh feel free to write in as uh, you know send us a message uh what have you um but we'll take a little bit of a break and we'll look to see what we're going to cover next so yeah. be sure to stay tuned to our socials um but in the meantime uh, you know, we do hope that, you know, if however you celebrate or however you observe the holiday that you're that, you know, that it's a happy one and a safe one and that you are surrounded by people uh, that you care about. So mm -hmm. absolutely. Agree. So until then, uh, even though, yeah, we won't be releasing new episodes for a little bit, you can still definitely reach out to us. We love to hear you know, feedback, but just reach out. You can always message us on on Facebook or send us emails and stuff. And we do check those. We'd love to hear from you, especially, yeah, like Rima said, if you have some ideas on what you think we should cover when we come back around, if you got some stuff floating out there that maybe we haven't caught or noticed yet, send us some recommendations, send us some thoughts, and uh, we always love hearing from you. Again, you go to podcastica.com to get any of that information, how to get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you, for sure.
Yeah. And while you're there, be sure to check out all the amazing shows at podcastica.com. There's a lot of great coverage right now. I, I can't even keep up. Every time I turn around, there's new podcasts or someone's covering something new. Um, so there's something for everyone. Uh, there's a Walking Dead rewatch. There is a Ted, Ted Lasso rewatch. There is a Buffy rewatch happening right now. <laughs> uh, Squid Games is being covered. Uh, so if you're into that, mm-hmm. uh, that's just the new stuff. That's not even just like the whole catalog <laughs> yeah. or library. So <laughs> a lot of great things. And you can always go back and listen to some of our stuff. I'm hearing a couple of folks new to the Flanniverse, uh, mm-hmm. you know, go back and check out our coverage on uh, some of uh, other uh, Mike Flanagan uh, shows and movies. Yeah, uh, all, if you will. all Flanagan series have been covered on here. Uh, Rima and Sean covered The Haunting of Hill House and then. I came in and helped with we did Blind Manor and Midnight Club, Midnight Mass, so you can check all those out. And yeah, some movies we we covered Doctor Sleep a while back, which uh, one of my absolute favorites. So <laughs> So well done. hmm And you and Daphne, are you picking back up? Remind me where you guys are. I know you took a little bit of a break. Yeah, we are um, back this awesome. weekend or this week. So Friday, we will be back this season, new, our next episode. Uh, and I mentioned it last week, I think, but yeah, we are doing Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Kind of a horror comedy. It's a ridiculous movie, but I love it so much. So definitely check that out. I think it's stri- uh, streaming on like Amazon Prime and Hulu and some places right now. So if you got those, maybe go check it out and go listen to me and Daphne this weekend on that one because it's it's a lot of fun <laughs> yeah you guys have just the best stuff yeah and and that was the most give, interesting things you'll find weird stuff but it's it's fun i was gonna give yeah. another little shout out for podcast is not podcastica but i'm gonna give it some love because it's the holidays and and we love our friends uh ben beck over on the wilhelm podcast he's kind of reaching out for people to go check that out as he's doing his uh holiday special where he's doing a little different instead of having a guest on and talking about, you know, top five holiday movies and stuff. He really wants to do a feedback special. So if you want to send, uh, I think it's feedback at wilhelmpodcast.com. He wants to hear from as many people as he can about your favorite holiday movies and maybe even TV episodes. What are the ones you return to every year? What are your family traditions? What are your favorite holiday movies? So if you have the time to go check that out and send him some feedback and some stuff that he can, uh, look at and read for his podcast and his own curiosity. Maybe check out Wilhelm while you're at it. Cause it's awesome. He does a lot of great stuff with those top five episodes, them- thematic episodes, talking about movies, TV, uh, does a lot of celebrity interviews and stuff over there too. So giving some love to Ben and Wilhelm. <laughs> yeah. Go give Ben some love. He's great. But all right. Aside from that, make sure to go check out all those uh, give us your love, rate, review, subscribe, follow, all the things that you can do. That that could be your holiday present to us, if you would like uh, to give us all of that. But uh, mainly just thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. We always appreciate that. Until next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you in advance. For now, that is our show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Peyton. And Dina Harris is strange indeed.